I'm a sinner. I play my music in the sun. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight toker. I sure don't want to hurt no one. I'm a picker. I'm a grinner. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. I'm Skylar Sanders here with my fellow Batman, Joker, villain, hero, Mason Weir. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> that was horrible. I didn't know where I was going with that. Uh, yeah, I'm the Joker hero villain. So... I got caught. I got caught. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> well, I am the Dark Knight, and tonight we are reviewing the Dark Knight which came out in 2008 and got 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty pretty high. Pretty high. One of our highest ever. I think there was The Irishman, which was 96 or 98, which is total bullshit. Uh, Yeah, that's bullshit. Brazil, however, was the highest one. That's right. It was Brazil. It was 97% for Brazil. I mean, that was obvious, though. We knew Brazil was going to be the best movie that we'd ever watched, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and it's definitely above this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not, I like I like The Dark Knight. It's a good movie. Yeah, not at all. You'll be happy that we don't have to have a huge cast list here because oh, we we already talked about most of them, so I have a very short list for this week. Oh, okay, good. We don't need to bring up Christian Bale or Michael Caine or anything because we already talked about them. Well, and now Christian Bale has officially become Batman. He's not just Bruce Wayne this time. Yeah, he's officially Batman the entire movie. And then Michael Caine as Alfred Pennyworth. Always fun to watch. Yeah, well, we just said we weren't going to talk about Michael Caine or yeah, Christian Bale. Yeah. No, we're not talking about it. We're just saying, you know. You just wanted to say Michael Caine again. <laughs> yes, I did, actually. <laughs> very perceptive of you. Yeah, that was it. It's very fun. Michael Caine. But Heath Ledger, this is the second time he's on the podcast. We already talked about him extensively in Brokeback Mountain. He was excellent in that. He was excellent in 10 Things I Hate About You. And this is his best performance. Yeah, this is his, the peak. Not only like he, the fact that he died right after this role, but uh, also just his career had been building. He'd be doing better, better, more serious stuff. And then this gem, which is just a genius performance, comes out. And then poof, he's gone, which adds even more to the to the legendary status of it. I almost entertained the idea that maybe people were propping up his performance a little bit because he died right after this. But then when you watch it, it's just like, no, it really is just no, it's that good. Yeah. He's just nailing it the whole way through every single scene when he's on the screen. You just can't take your eyes off of him. He's just magnetic. Yeah, I'm going to give at least five or six extra points on my on my score just because of him and what he did. Nice. Nice. It's that good. And another really good performance, I think, is by Aaron Eckhart. Eckhart? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how exactly to say his last name, but I think I, this guy should have more roles. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely done some stuff. Like, he's uh, he gets pretty decent roles when he does. He just doesn't – I don't think he does a whole lot. The roles I wrote down for him were The Core, which was a cool disaster movie, and Aaron Brockovich he was also in. Those yeah. are the only things I've seen him in, but he's really good in this as Harvey Dent. 
he plays the lead in uh, Thank You for Smoking or Thank You for Not Smoking. And that, that's actually a really good movie, too. And he plays a real interesting character in that. Never seen that one. But I was I was very impressed in all aspects of his character. And he transforms a bit as the movie goes on. But he's, he's great the whole time. Yeah, yeah, he does a good job. And then correction time. You called this girl Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh-huh. It's Gyllenhaal. We went to great lengths in the Brokeback Mountain podcast to not call her brother Jake Gyllenhaal. We called him Gyllenhaal the whole time. We had a big, long talk about it. I'm sure you, you don't sure? remember. Are yeah. you sure? I thought it was we talked about it and never agreed on it. No, we looked it up. We YouTubed it, and it's he Gyllenhaal. Said it. It's Gyllenhaal. Well, maybe his name is Gyllenhaal, and her name is Gyllenhaal. Have you ever thought about that? Well, she's his older sister, but yeah, that's pretty possible. <laughs> All right. Just saying. If that was your last name, which one would you go by? Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal? Yeah. It kind of brings up fish. You, know, you think of fish when you think of that. Gyllenhaal. I think of gel. Jelly. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. All right. I would probably go with <laughs> Gyllenhaal. Actually, I would probably just accept whatever people wanted to call me. It's like, whatever. I would I would pronounce it Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Gyllenhaal, the Viking. Skyla Gyland Hall. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. I'm going to start. I'm actually going to. Would you please refer to me as Skylar Gyland Hall? Yes. On? Yeah, I, I will do my best to remember that. I like that too. <laughs> so Maggie Gyland Hall plays Rachel Dawes, who we just saw in the last one played by Katie Holmes. We talked about it. They didn't like Katie Holmes. And so they replaced her with Maggie Gyland Hall. And she does a better job than Katie Way Holmes, better. I think. Way better, yeah. What about yeah. in the looks, looks department? What do you think about comparing oh, the two of them? Well, I mean, just classically, I think, uh, what's her name? Katie Holmes looks a little bit better. You think but, so? Yeah, but Mag- Maggie Gyllenhaal has this sort of uh, rough girl sexiness, like a smart sexy appeal to her. Yeah, I like her, the way her face is spaced out. You know, her eyes are pretty far apart and her smile is <laughs> kind of stretched out, but I like it. That's if you were to hit on her at a party, that's what you tell. <laughs> I love the symmetry in your face. I I am blown away by the symmetry of your eyes. They're spaced out perfectly. <laughs> uh, well, keeping with the theme of siblings as actors, there's also Eric Roberts in this, who is the brother of Julia Roberts, and he plays Sal Maroney. For some reason, I always remember seeing this guy in a lot of different mm. things. He is, he's good in everything. He's a really good actor. Like he, he, he rarely gets any big roles, but he is just always a strong, supporting second character. I know he had one really big role with Al Pacino in a movie where they play like brothers or something or cousins, and, and, they, and I can't remember exactly what happens, but I just remember his performance is really good. Well, he is replacing Falcone in this movie as the lead organized crime member, and he plays Sal Moroni. Moroni. Oh, is it Moroni? Oh, okay. I'm... <laughs> okay. You know who I think of when I see this guy, and I don't know why. Maybe they look alike, but I always want to call him Tony Danza. Oh, yeah. He does have a Tony Danza look for sure. All right, good. I'm, I'm glad that's not only me, but it's definitely no, not, not Tony Danza. Hey, hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> That's not, it's Tiny Dancer. 
Now it's hold me closer, Tony Danza. Hold me closer, Tiny Danza. Yeah, Tony Danza. Okay. That's what I I said. All right. And then the last (laughs) cast member I wrote down is William Finkner, who plays the bank... The bank manager. I remember him as Shredder in the new Ninja oh. Turtle movie. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's true. He is uh, in a lot of stuff, and he has such a small role in this. It's interesting. Yeah, but I like the actor, so I, I mentioned him. There's some other ones, too, but these are the only ones I felt were important. Yeah, I, will, yeah. I will throw in one last one, though. Debo is making his second appearance on the podcast. Oh, he, yeah. was, he was in uh, DeMar- what, DeMarco Murray. <laughs> he was in Don Juan DeMarco, and he's also in this one. He's he's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he he's good. And I said it today while I was watching, and I was watching with some friends, and I go, "Is he not just like the most menacing looking person you've ever seen?" <laughs> like, like he, the, his look in this movie, particularly when he's in a scene, is just one that would strike absolute fear into your heart. Yeah, but he ends up being a big sweetheart almost every time when he plays that role. Yep, yep, they love and- to. They love to make him look tough and be soft. Yeah, and Don Juan, he ends up being, becoming a salsa dancer and moving to Ecuador or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's great. And that's all I wrote down for the cast, the new cast members. Did you have anyone else that I forgot? Nope, I don't think so. All right. Well, they all do a, a good job. I'm not going to complain about anyone's acting performance in this, in mm-hmm. this movie. So, good job, everybody. Applause all around. Yep, and I guess we are ready then to become the Dark Knight. Let us become the Dark Knight. Let us become one with the night. But don't rise yet. Just mm. become the Dark Knight. No, just just be dark. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie's really not about what well, it is, but this movie's about the Joker. This is the Joker movie. If you want to describe it to someone, if you're talking about the Christopher Nolan movies, he said, this is the movie that's about the Joker. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just because he is the main villain, but he just steals the show, too. So there's multiple reasons. And I think they knew all along he was going to steal the show because he gets highlighted way more than the villains in the last movie. And then he's here in the opening scene. I loved this the first time I saw it. And I like mm-hmm. it less each time I see it because I already know what's going on and what's happening. But it's a brilliant yeah. opening scene to capture the audience. For sure. For sure. And just the music as it starts out with the, like the tension that they're building. and the ten, like it's, uh, I, I think it's pretty geniusly done. And the fact that we do open and we don't even realize it, but we're following the Joker around throughout this whole beginning of the story. We just don't know which clown he is. Yeah, so it's a group of clowns, maybe a, a dozen. Well, not real clowns. They're criminals disguised as clowns. They're robbing a bank. Each of them has a specific job. And as these jobs become completed, the person that does the job is killed by his partner. And it goes on and on this way until only one person is left. And that's the Joker. So he masterminded this whole bank robbery. And he it, it's to show that he has this ability to mastermind these great plots and plans, I think. Well, that and just his ability to not care about the loss of life at all or, or just uh, just yeah he he doesn't uh his, it's a sick twisted game to him it's not the stuff that he does is like a game it's not even about stealing anything from him and this kind of gives you a sense of that a little bit in the beginning yeah to him it's all a game and he enjoys pain 
he enjoys he says he enjoys anarchy but i'm gonna debunk that as we go along but he's, <laughs> yeah, he he's actually, a very interesting character they're very organized though yeah he's incredibly organized and he's he's great at putting shit together and and coming out on top and he does it here in this opening scene i feel like there's a lot of things i could talk about here in this scene but i'll just kind of brush over everything and just say it's it's awesome it's it's a great opener and introduction to the joker for sure he escapes in a school bus and the timing of that is crazy too like how how did he time it to get all that stuff done and pull out exactly when all those other school buses were pulling out i found that as a bit unbelievable but you know still if if that happened like that wow the only thing that i did want to point out about this heist is when it's down to the last two it's the Joker and and the uh, other robber that's with him. He's like, I suppose you're going to kill me now, aren't you? And the Joker says, me? No, I kill the bus driver. And then he carefully takes a couple steps to the left. And the, mm-hmm. the, the other criminal says, what bus driver? And then this bus backs through the door and runs him over. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's pretty it's, cool. It's, yeah. And it's like, how could you have planned him to be right there at that time? Maybe he would have killed him in another way, but. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit strange. Oh, he knew down to the foot where yeah. where this guy was going to be, where he's coming through, when he was coming through. And then, he, of course, he kills the bus driver and, and steals the bus and escapes. Yeah, and turn, and he heists the bank, and they start out with maybe like 10 people, and it, it's just him at the end, but off, taking off with the money by himself. So we get an introduction as well to a couple of new detectives, because now Gordon, who's still not Commissioner Gordon, we did we tried to do a good job of not calling him that it's just sergeant gordon or detect lieutenant gordon maybe yeah i can't remember yeah yeah it's gordon it's jim gordon yeah jim gordon works on the police force and probably has a rank (laughs) yeah he has some rank he's gordon and he has his own unit now his police unit and there's a couple detectives that they focus on wirtz and ramirez and they're all in this scene discussing crime in the city those are names to remember, are Wirtz and Ramirez. They're not crucial players, but they are crucial to the story. Yeah, they're crucial to the story. You might not even notice them your first time watching this movie, but they are important. Mm-hmm. So now we get a scene of our old friend, the Scarecrow. And he is in this parking lot doing a drug deal with a new gangster they refer to as the Chechen. Chechen? Chechen? Is that what we're going to say? Chechen? He's Chechnyan, I think. Can we just call him the chicken? <laughs> no, I have a Chechnyan friend, so we can't. We got to refer to him as the actual. All right. Well, the scarecrow insults the Chechen as well. And his defining trait, the Chechen, is that he has a pack of dogs that follow him around everywhere and do his bidding. Mm-hmm. So he's a dog whisperer and a gangster. And he has a very tenuous relationship with the scarecrow. He's very unhappy with the drug supply he's getting, but Scarecrow just says, ah, whatever, man, take what you can get. Yeah. It's- I told you my product would take you places. I didn't say it was places you'd like. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what a, what a dick. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's selling uh, some bad drugs, man. Yeah. And, he, and he's not even sorry about it. It's not like, Oh, my drugs fucked up your people. Well, here, let me give you some for uh, free here on the house. These should be better. He's just like, whatever. They're dead. I don't care. So it's, Good to see that the Scarecrow is still slinging, even after his his last uh, encounter with Batman and yeah. Rachel. Yeah, well, the last time we saw him, he got shot by a taser and rode off into the night. So 
I mean, it is, I guess it's still, uh, it's, I guess, yeah, he's still out on the streets. Yeah. But he gets so, wrapped up pretty easily. Well, kind of. He, a Batman shows up and he starts fighting the Chechen and Scarecrow, but he's using a little machine gun. So immediately everyone's like, that's not Batman. That's not the real guy. And then they start kicking his ass. And then mm-hmm. the real Batman shows up and saves the day. Yeah, and he blasts through the wall in his in his Batmobile, and and then everybody's like, "Yep, that's the real one." Yeah, so he bends the gun of the fake Batman, incapacitates everybody. The Scarecrow escapes. He kind of gets the better of Batman for a minute. He he drives off, and Batman's hanging on the side of the car, and then he rams him into a pole. So Batman yeah. gets his ass kicked a little bit, and the dogs also rough him up and bite him. Just yeah. want to point that out. Batman has real trouble with dogs. Later yeah, on, he, he gets his ass kicked by dogs, too. He, he needs, like, a dog whistle or something like that. He does. So he kind of gets beat up, but then he jumps off of the carport, times it perfectly, lands on the car, and, and arrests the Scarecrow. And he says some funny line he's getting in the car, because the, the people that we're attacking are imitators. They're out to do good for the city. They've been inspired by Batman, but he's like, I don't want to see you out here again. He's like, why? What gives you the right? We're trying to help. I don't need help. Yeah, he says, well, what makes you different than us? And he says, yeah. what is it he I'm says? Not, he goes, I'm not wearing hockey pads. Yeah, that's it. I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, he's right. Because, you know, uh, the, the thing that separates Batman is his incredible amount of wealth into the technology that he uses. Yeah, but I'm not going to shit on the the other guy that was dressed up as Batman because he was trying to do good too. Yeah, he was trying. I'm not, I'm not going to shit on him either, but uh, it's a lot more dangerous for that guy than it is for this guy. It's probably harder work too. He has none of the same equipment. He doesn't have all the resources. How did he even know that meeting was going on? He probably had to sleuth around the internet for months. <laughs> He's on the dark web figuring out when the next uh, Scarecrow <laughs> dust meeting is. Yeah, he doesn't have an Alfred that can just tell him a time and a place. Yeah, no, he's a poor man's Batman. <laughs> Literally. Well, speaking of Alfred, we go to a scene, well, a couple of scenes. There's Alfred talking up the new district attorney, Dent, Harvey Dent. And also there's a scene of Gordon talking up Dent. So they're introducing this guy first through word of mouth. And everyone describes him as like a pit bull or a bulldog and a total badass district attorney. Yeah. He arrests everybody. He in- interrogates everybody. He looks into corrupt police. He's his goal is to take down organized crime, and so he's being talked up, and he's kind of like a legal Batman. And then you get your real introdu- introduction to him in a courtroom where he subdues. <laughs> this is kind of <laughs> yeah. weird, right? It's pretty dumb. Like to me, it's just like oh, okay, all right. First of all, the guy pulls a gun out in the courtroom and aims it at him. And then he just walks up and, and like, instead of the guy shooting him, he just walks up and grabs the gun and twists it out of his arm and then really quickly takes the gun apart, which is like just so cool. You know, the fact that he knows how to take the gun apart and he's holding it like in, in his hand and he says something like the next time you try to kill a public assistant, I suggest you buy American. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super cool. Yeah. And then, and then the, they're like, all right, get him out of here. And he's like, wait, but I'm not done with him. Oh, wow, this guy is just the cat's ass, isn't he? Yeah, he's the legal Batman. Yeah. 
and this trial is for Sal Maroney, who we we mentioned in the cast, but I don't. This is his first appearance in the movie. That's Eric Roberts' character. He apparently has taken over the reins for Falcone. And these organized crime guys, come on, man, give me, give me a better portrayal of organized crime. These guys are the worst, the absolute yeah. worst. Yeah, like the cheesiest accents, and they're just not not real believable. As I don't know, you could have gone better. You could have got better. Not just the accents, but their actions. So in, in the courtroom, Maroney's on trial, or Marconi, or whatever the fuck his name is. Maroney, I guess. I will call him that. They all sound like noodles, which is stupid, too. <laughs> but the guy that's on the stand says, oh, I'm, I'm the one behind organized crime. And he winks and nods and just makes a you know, joke out of the entire trial. They're not mm. even taking it seriously at all. And then the assassination attempt, which would never work. You know, they would get frisked and found out that they have a gun long before this, but it was yeah. just all so weak and pathetic and not befitting of the mafia. Yeah, yeah, it was just a just sloppy stuff. And then the fact that uh, I, I don't know, it's just like remember we had the scene where the, in the last movie where the person comes up and shoots the guy, and obviously they're going to go to jail for it for a while or forever, maybe. Uh, the the reporter, the female reporter from the last, or the female yeah. that comes up and kills. Yeah. What? Yeah. So then this movie, if you pull a gun out and shoot a public uh, service agent in the middle, what would be the be- like? The mob couldn't promise you anything good. Like no, nothing you're going at all. To, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. Yep. It's it's probably all on video and everything. So it's yeah. a, a stupid assassination attempt. Yeah. But it's foiled. Good job, Dent. And now they show Dent knows that Batman and Gordon are in an alliance and he wants in. So they're going to form a fellowship of justice. Yes. So now we get an introduction to a new mini villain named Lao, who is a businessman from China and he's attempting to broker an alliance with the new accountant, I guess for Batman or business representative Lucius Fox. Yeah, yeah, he's like his CEO, sort of. So he took the job of the sinister Mr. Earl in the last movie, and now we have a new (laughs) sinister businessman, and that is Mr. Reese. Sinister Mr. Reese. Yeah, the sinister Mr. Reese is there with Fox. They're supposedly attempting to broker a deal with Lau where they would partner. His company would, would have form a partnership with Wayne Enterprises, but Fox shoots it down. It's kind of a misuse of his talents, isn't he? Isn't he like the greatest technical mind yeah, in the world, I mean, probably? I think he just trusts him. That's why he puts him there. And he's just, he's just a, he makes good decisions all the time. So he's he just a smart, a smart dude that was underutilized in his prior role. And now he's, he's just wearing multiple hats. I love the story arc for Fox in this story, in this, in this movie. It's a good one. Yeah, me too. Because he he shows he shows some real backbone and character throughout throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So Bruce and Fox meet after after he rejects Lau's offer, and they both make it clear neither one of them was interested in a partnership with Lau. They just wanted to get closer to him so they could examine his books, and they have found that he is a criminal and probably conspiring with other criminals. Mm-hmm. So Batman. Bruce asks Fox for some new technology and a new suit. I don't think I really noticed a lot of differences in the bat suit, though. 
Um, it just was a little bit more mobile, I guess, as far as the head attachments and stuff like that. And that was the big, cause, cause in the first Batman, uh, or not the first, I guess it wasn't the first one, but the uh, 1989 one, Michael Keaton. So I think this was kind of like an inside joke where he's like, you want to be able to turn your head. And he goes, uh, oh, okay. Like backing out of the driveway easier. So the first, the Michael Keaton Batman in 89 said that because the way they made the suit, the neck connected to the cape and the body and everything, and you couldn't, you literally couldn't move move your head. So throughout the whole movie, he's just got this stiff neck sort of looking all around. And now Fox says, Fox asks him what he wants, and Bruce says, I want to be able to turn my head. Or whatever. Yeah. So I think it was like a little inside joke. All right, well, that's cool. But anyway, the two of them suspect Lau of being a white-collar criminal, and they're going to take action pretty soon. So now we get an introduction to the new Rachel, the new and improved Rachel. I like to think that Christopher Nolan was doing the upgrade meme when when he <laughs> it's like Katie Holmes upgrade Maggie Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Well, she, she is she is an upgrade though because I think she's a, she does a much better job in her performance. She does. And in this one she is dating Harvey Dent and we see them at a dinner date. Bruce arrives. Bruce has really started dipping into the whores, man. He's got an escort in almost every scene now. She's a ballet dancer, man. What the fuck? He's got a different escort in every scene, man. She's, she's an escort. She's escorting him to dinner. She's his date. She's a ballet dancer, man. Jesus. Come on. <laughs> she's a ballet dancer, and I have to yeah, think she... that's not a very stable career. And as a side gig, she's an escort. Are you kidding me? Do you know how much professional ballet dancers get paid? There's no indication she's a professional. But, yeah, because later they go to the they're going to go to the the Russian ballet thing, which is like a huge show downtown or whatever. And cool. they and he's left with the entire ballet. I'm just saying he probably paid her, and that makes her an <laughs> escort for this dinner. I mean, she's smoking hot. That I'll get. I'll say that. All right. Well, this unnamed and ballet. Dance. Yes, she she could. She does look like she's kind of got the body of a stripper, yeah. but she's a ballet dancer, man. Jesus. All right. Well, this unnamed ballet dancer slash escort. <laughs> they walk into the restaurant at the same time. They end up making it a double date and it's just more character building for Dent. He talks about how great the Batman is and how he kind of wants to take up the mantle of Batman in a legal way. Yeah. And at one point, his date, or maybe it's Batman's date, holds up a menu to his face and questions if he is the Batman. And you just see his chin. This guy has a legendary chin. Oh, yeah. He's got the nicest butt chin of all time. Like it's just he, could, a... he would have been a great Batman, I think. He probably would have because the chin's an important part for the Batman role. Yeah, the look is there for sure. Yeah. So he, he would have done a good job. But he says a bunch of corny lines, something like the the night is darkest before daylight or whatever, stupid yeah. stuff. The road yeah. to hell is paved with good intentions. He's like Aristotle at dinner, just preaching yeah, just to these guys. Spout. He's literally just on Instagram. He's got it in his pocket and he's reading like inspirational quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like a, a walking fortune cookie when he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, but uh, Bruce slash Batman, the, on the surface, he seems to like Dent or like what he stands for. But he also kind of seems annoyed or perturbed by his by his attitude and gusto. 
Am I misreading that, or did Bruce yeah, kind of no. seem annoyed with with Dent a little bit? Uh, well, he's he's annoyed with him because he because Rachel is so enamored with this guy, and you know he's he likes Rachel. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's got a thing for Rachel. I could have done without the whole Batman Rachel thing. I don't think it was even necessary. It really. wasn't. Why couldn't it just have been Rachel and Dent and just let them have their story? I guess it, to show. I guess to show a value of. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, I guess to show, just to have him have another character he connects to, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Though I because, found it interesting that it's always Rachel that's in danger when they're trying to get to Batman, and it's never yeah. Alfred. Everyone knows that Alfred's his boy, yet Alfred is just untouchable. Well, he's Bruce Wayne's boy. Yeah, but I, at this point, I think a lot of people. Well, maybe they don't. I don't know. No, yeah, they don't. Nobody knows yet. No one knows. Anyway, getting back on track here, we go to a scene where the mobsters, and that's literally every mobster in the city, they, they have no hierarchy. It's everyone is in a room having a video meeting with Lau. There's three different mob leaders, including the Chechen. Yeah, you, got the, Chech- you got the Chechen, you got Gable, and then you got uh, Maroney. Mar- not Marconi? No, it's Maroney. Maroney. Okay. Maroney. I, did I call him Marconi this whole time? You've called him Marconi twice, but you've called him Mar- Maroney more times. <laughs> uh, ma- macaroni Maroney. <laughs> anyway, they all meet with Lau, and Lau is laundering their money for them. So that's the relationship they have. They're, they're obtaining illegal funds, and Lau, through his connections, is washing the money for them. No, the police were, the police were about to raid... <clears throat> and take and seize all the money from the gangs, but Lau had it moved before they could before they could seize it. And because it was time sensitive, he went ahead and moved the money without their permission. So all their money was in one place, and he was the access to that place. Yeah, he saved all of them, but he also was serving as their money launderer before this. Oh, he, okay. he 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 controlled all their money. Yeah, he was like they had oh, something yeah, yeah. with marking bills or whatever. That's true. Yeah, that's true. The weird thing that stood out to me is that the entire mob and all the underlings are there. In real life, it's one or two people in this meeting, not 40 in a room. Yeah. All mm-hmm. watching an iPhone. So that, that annoyed me. Yeah, but the scene gets stolen. Who steals it? Who stole that scene? Yeah, the Joker shows up and he immediately, again, unrealistic, but he murders one of the mobsters that, that leaps at him. He says, let me show you a magic trick. And this is a very memorable and awesome scene. He puts a pencil down on the table, pointing up, or a pen. And then he grabs the guy's head and shoves his eyeball through it. That's killing the dude, right? Yeah, that's dead. That went into his brain. Yeah, so that guy's dead. It leads you to believe, what do you think about the Joker's physical prowess? Because he fights quite a few times. He can can fight. I don't think he's like an expert fighter, but he's definitely not a pushover. He's no scarecrow. Like he he can kick more ass than the scarecrow for sure. Yeah, no, he's he's a, he's smart and physical. Like, yeah, you can't uh, you can't just send a henchman after the Joker. Come on. No, well they do. They send one guy after him. He kills him, and that's enough to entice the other mobsters to listen to what he has to say. Yeah, they don't even care. They're just like, we didn't even like that guy anyway. Yeah, I don't think this is how that would go down either. Though. I think they would probably pull out a gun and shoot him. He does show that he's strapped with grenades, so they would all die if they killed him. 
but you would think they would shoot him before that. That would have been a boring ending for the Jokers. Yeah, <laughs> he gets shot and killed in the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point of the scene is the Joker tells them, you don't need to worry about the police. You need to worry about the Batman. And yeah. they they think he's full of shit, but he leaves them with that. I can help you. I'll take half your money and I'll kill the Batman for you. I just wrote down captivating. It's just incredible. Right here, this scene uh, yeah. where you really get to know the Joker and he's talking and doing things, it's just incredible. Yeah, and he's sitting there talking. He's like, what happened? Did your balls drop off? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> and, and, and somebody calls him crazy. He's like, you're crazy. And he goes, no, I'm not. And like the way he says it, like the way he snaps his eyes at him and looks at him is just, I was just like, wow, <clears throat> the the way he just pulls the character into a different direction all of a sudden, it's just, yeah, it's captivating. Yeah, it's all in the details. You you look, you really have to watch it because it's the way he jerks his head, the way he moves his mouth, the way he moves his eyes. It's it's all in the details is why this is so good. And one of the favorite things I wanted to point out that, that he says here, one of the gangsters says to him, you think you can steal and get away? And he says, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Yeah. That actually made me laugh out loud when he did that. So he, and the way he shakes his hand, he's got his finger on the trigger of all those grenades and he's like yeah. shaking his hand. Just, ooh, ooh. I, I love it. It's just so good. Yeah. And then, and then, and just his seriousness, but playfulness at the same time, because he goes, All right, I'm going to leave my card and you guys call me when you're ready to get serious about this. And then he leaves his card and it's just a Joker card from a deck of cards. <laughs> he's so playful and, psychotic at the same time it's just he's captivating it's great so the fellowship of justice now meets on a rooftop and they discuss how they're going to get Lau. and in in case you don't remember the fellowship is now dent batman and gordon and my axe and my axe (laughs) (laughs) so it's interesting here and i never picked up on this until this viewing but Dent and Gordon kind of get into it a little bit of an argument. And Dent says to Gordon, you have that scum Ramirez and Wirtz working in your office. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He he's points out them. that, yeah, he's onto them. He doesn't he think says, that they're good cops. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you don't think I know I had your rookie on racketeering charges. You know? So, so the point is, is that Dent, doesn't trust Gordon's unit, rightfully so. Gordon has only a certain amount of people to work with, though. So Gordon, having worked with dirty cops coming up, because we saw him work with a dirty cop in the first film, he just has to work with what he's given. And dirty cop or no dirty cop, they're still he still has to use them for what they are. Yeah. Well, I also think he trusts them. And it's a little bit of a poor judgment on Gordon's part. Yeah. He, yeah. he later, well, I don't want to say, uh, I guess we've already said enough. Like, yeah, these two cops are bad. Wirtz, yeah. Wirtz and Ramirez are dirty cops. They're on the take. So, But in this scene, Lau has escaped after hiding that money. He's escaped back to Hong Kong, and they can't arrest him because it's out of their jurisdiction. So Batman is needed to go overseas, capture Lau, and return him. Which is illegal. Well, I guess Batman does everything illegal, so. Whatever. Yeah, Batman doesn't give a shit about that. It's interesting how he decides to get out of Gotham City, and that's to abscond on a Russian cruise boat. Yeah, with the Russian ballet, with his girlfriend was part of. <laughs> yeah, with all these Russian escorts 
Just the, yeah. an entire. Harem. They're not escorts, man. The ba- a ballet dancer is an artist. Oh my god. I mean, maybe they're having sex with him. I don't know. They're having like... sex with Alfred after Bruce Lee. Yeah, <laughs> looks like Alfred reached the sow of that whole harvest. Yeah, Alfred is getting some fringe benefits as his job as a butler because out on this boat, Batman leaves to get on this hydro plane. I don't know if that's the word for it. It's probably not the word for it, but it's a plane that flies on yeah, water. It's just one of those planes that lands in the water, yeah. Yeah, and he leaves Alfred with his harem of women, and Alfred says, how do you ask about suntan lotion in Russian or something? No, no, it's that it, he says, are you going to be all right here by yourself? And he's like, if you can tell me how to say, apply your own bloody lotion in Russian. And it's like, and then, it's almost like, it's like he's, he's, He's bothered by it. They keep asking. They the, the the ballet dancers are all on this yacht or boat or whatever, laying out and asking him to put on the put the suntan lotion on him. So it's ironic because most men would kill for that. However, Howard seems uh, or um, Alfred seems uh, just a little perturbed by the whole thing. Oh, I misread that entire thing. If that's how it was, because I took it as Alfred was going to enjoy this immensely, and he was asking no. to rub lotion onto them. Or have no, rubbed onto him. No, no, he's tired of rubbing suntan lotion on all these beautiful <laughs> Russian ballet dancers. All right, I'll, I'll probably have to watch that one, Re- rewatch that scene, and pay closer attention. Yeah, check that out because it's funny because he's we we'd all be like giving our left nut to go do that. <laughs> it is funny. So Bruce is on his way to Hong Kong to apprehend Lau, but we'll go now to a new Joker scene. He disguises himself as a corpse because the gangsters had put a bounty out on him after he had threatened them at the last meeting. So he disguises himself as a corpse and he gets snuck into the one of the gang leaders' offices. Gamble, I think his Ga- name is. Gamble, okay. Yeah. So he jumps out of the you know, the dead the body bag. He kills the lead mobster by sticking his knife into his head or what like it looked like he was going to give him the uh what's it called the the glasgow smile yeah where he cuts he's like let's put a smile on that face and he's going to cut him sort of like his scars are but uh gamble doesn't seem to survive it so i don't know what he actually does to him he must have gone straight to the brain and just gone straight to the back and cut him but while he's holding him up with this knife he tells a story about how he got his scars and he'll later do this again with a completely different story as to how he got yeah. the scars so i like that yeah. you, you never actually know how he got those scars now that's one of the beauties of his whole character is you never know any history of him how he became like he is how he you, you know you never learn anything about the joker but i think the more you dig into it the more unbelievable the joker character becomes so that there might be a reason for that especially when you see what he's able to accomplish in this movie it's it's very impossible actually but. yeah he's a chess master for sure so there's a few henchmen still in the room after he kills the leader. And he says, would any of you like a job? And then he breaks a, a pool stick in half and throws it down as a weapon. And it's implied that they have to fight to the death. And only the winner will be able to work for the Joker. I would have liked to have seen the fight, but they cut away before that happens. Yeah, they don't really give it, but they give us a nice lead out because he snaps the pool stick in half and goes, now we're going to have tryouts. And he throws the, the sharp pool stick down. And then he kind of walks off and goes, make it quick. So it sort of emphasizes that idea of like, this guy is, it, even though he's psycho and playful, he's ruthless too. Do you think those guys actually fought to the death? Or do you think, some? how do you think it went down with them? 
I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, if you're a gangster and you've got your boys and your friends with you and you've probably grown up with them and been indoctrinated to the gang at the same time, and then one day your leader gets killed and someone's like, all right, kill your boys. That's a tough decision to make right there. I think it would be. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but the question is, are they they're just going to kill them if they don't fight? So they're going to have to fight, I think. Yeah, I guess you, you, it's dog eat dog and you just got to go for it and kill, yeah. kill your buddies. At that point, just just kill your friend. Also, during this scene, the Joker says the iconic line, why so serious? Serious. And he changes his voice for that one, too, which is interesting because he does it a few times where he's like, why so serious? Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he does, it, he does some interesting voice stuff with the character to, to kind of give you the idea of now it's switched. Now he's in the serious mode. So we'll leave the Joker now and we'll go to Hong Kong where Lucius Fox has decided to formally reject the offer of Lao. And he goes and he does it in person. But that's not the real point of him being there. The point is he takes his cell phone in. He receives a call. Lao confiscates his phone because no phones are allowed in Lao's building. And so while it's confiscated, it's actually being used as a different device that he's devised to help Bruce get inside and kidnap Lau. Yeah. It's like a sonar sort of thing. He can find out who's where and what Batman's on the rooftop opposite of Lau's building. He uses the sonar to detect where he needs to go or where Lau is or something. Not really sure what that was for, but then he spreads his bat wings and glides over the city if you're ever wondering where people see these Mothman and shit like that, it's probably Batman flying around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's what I was thinking. Uh, maybe the Moth- Mothman is actually just Batman. He's just out doing his work, and someone just happened to see him. Yeah, the fact that neither exist in the real world is not important, but maybe you know, maybe it could be. Well, this building of Lau's has probably a thousand windows, wouldn't you say? How the hell did yeah, Batman yeah. know exactly what floor and window Lau was going to? Is that what the sonar yeah, was for? I guess the sonar helped him with that. That's the only thing I could think of is the sonar helped him locate exactly where he needed to go. But I don't really feel like we get a throwback to him using the sonar much, do we? I thought the sonar was there to turn out the, the lights uh, to make the power go out. Oh, yeah. It's like an EMP, like a charge and set and, and turns off the electricity sort of. Yeah, so he, he knocks out the power, but then he lands perfectly in the exact window that Lau is at. But you see, that's not how Lucius describes it as. He describes it as a sonar to where you can see stuff. I don't know. That's a little hole in the, in the usage of that t- instrument. Yeah, it didn't make perfect sense. And also what didn't make sense is in a building of this type, when you're in a skyscra- skyscraper, those yeah. windows are they are not thick. breaking. Batman is not. Flying into the window and busting it. <laughs> he just he's just gonna smack off the side like a wily coyote, like wily coyote off the side of a canyon and just slide down. How great would it have been if he just would have bumped against it, and just, <laughs> just scraped it, just hits it flat like a like a bird in a window, and then he slowly slides and peels off. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets in. He busts through the window. He busts all the glass in there. He takes apart all of Lau's security guards by yeah. you know, beating them up with jujitsu. He grabs Lau. He shoots off this parachute up into the sky with a 
with a GPS on it. And then a plane flies by and attaches itself to the parachute and pulls him and Lau away over the ocean into the night. I mean, it's cool to look at, but this is just ridiculous. And this is the first of many of these scenes. This is all just absurd. I mean, come on. It's pretty wild, and it's, it'd take a lot of coordination, but they do go to a length to explain it. They call it Skyhook, and the CIA was using it in, in Vietnam for some purpose. So they do sort of – the shit that they, that they do and they pull off is ridiculous, but they explain it enough to where you're like, okay, I guess if it worked perfectly, it's going to work, but uh, I don't know about all that. So this plane was just circling the city, waiting for the right time, or – I mean, and who's that, flying the plane? Is Lucius the pilot? Yeah, definitely not. No, Lucius is not there, I don't think. And and out and uh, what's his name? Um, his butler. Alfred. Alfred's not Alfred flying is, the plane. He's banging Alfred's it. not. That's yeah, course. he's he's banging the Russian ballet dancers. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so who's flying this? And who's Batman paying? What does he when he gets onto the ship? Uh, does he take his stuff off? Uh, does the dry the fly, plane flyer just? Drop him somewhere. Somebody's met Batman over in China now that I don't know. Yeah, and what happens if he just drops Lau? Because they're free hanging, you know, thousands of feet up in the air. Bruce is not, you know, infallible. He he could easily drop Lau. Oh, yeah. It's dangerous. It's risky. Yeah. So that's one of those scenes. It was awesome the first time you see it, and then it's still pretty cool other times you see it. But, but if you start to look at it closely and analyze it, and it's like, ah. Not as cool. It's hard to believe. Yeah. Lau's delivered to Gotham and given over to Gordon, and now they're going to try him and all the mobsters that he's in league with. And they interrogate him, and then they find out. He says, I handled their money, all of it. It's one, one lump sum. So they have a RICO case, they call it, uh, which I think is a real term. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> Where if, if you can try one person, somehow you can connect everybody that's, everybody's money to it. They can try every single gangster in the in the uh, in the crime organizations that has that have used him as a banker. And Gordon somehow wasn't aware of that. Dent had to tell him. Oh yeah, Dent knows the law. He's a lawyer. Yeah. So like you said, Lau names names. He sells out the mobsters, and the mobsters again are all eating together in a public restaurant. They're at like a Denny's or something. Every single mobster in the organized crime and all three gangs are all there and they all get arrested at once so there's literally hundreds of mobsters all arrested at one time yeah and i'm just like do they always just go out to lunch together like this or what no they don't it's a complete disrespectful portrayal of organized crime uh, yeah, it's funny that you're more respectful of the organized crime network than you are the russian ballet dancers you know well, they're like, not out there selling themselves to old fucking butlers and shit. They just asked him to put sunscreen on, okay? Yeah, those poor, poor prostitutes. Oh, God. <laughs> You've lost this podcast bad. No. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> all right. Anyway, all these mobsters are all getting their hearing at once, and they're all screaming at the judge. This poor judge is just overwhelmed with cases. It's viewed as a success or a victory for dent but the point of the scene is the judge is sentencing them all and she finds the joker's card in her judge's book yeah how did that get in there 
yeah, the Joker's got people everywhere, but he doesn't have money and he actively does gets rid of the money that he has. And I don't know. That's a good question. How did it get in there? But it's in there and they see it. So now the mayor, which we didn't mention his character, but it's the eyeshadow guy from Lost. He always looks like he's wearing eyeshadow. He's not. His name's Nestor Carbonelli, I think, the actor. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he's the mayor in this one, and he's meeting with Harvey Dent. And they debate they debate the merits of arresting all these gangsters at once when suddenly a dead body drops off of the rooftop and hangs directly at their window. Yeah. How did the Joker get this body up onto the roof measure the rope to hang exactly in front of the mayor's window, drop it without ever being seen. Maybe somebody did it for him. I don't know. Like, I mean, he's got to have people working for him. Obviously he does, but yeah, it's yeah, no, I, I, we can't, we can't keep focusing on this stuff because the, these answers are not, or these questions are not answerable. You know, it's just like, you have to, like you said, you have to suspend your belief for it, I guess. You do have to. And so I will. But that's not the point of the scene. They, they find the body, and then they play the clip on the news that was also sent to them. And it's a clip sent from the Joker torturing this phony Batman and, and then finally killing him. Yeah. And the Joker says that more people are going to die until the real Batman turns himself in and, and takes off his mask. Mm-hmm. So now we'll go to Bruce's house for a little party. And if we learned anything in the last movie, it's that parties at Bruce's house are bad news. Yeah, don't go to one. They're just horrible. This is a Harvey Dent fundraiser, I guess. Yeah, yeah. He's fundraising for Harvey Dent. To, he says that that, that that one scene that, no, once, when my buddies throw a fundraiser, fundraiser for you, you won't need another cent. He's about to make Harvey Dent rich with all the richest people of, the, of Gotham. Yeah, so he shows up in a helicopter, and now he has three escorts with him. Those actually might be escorts. I don't know. Yeah, those are escorts for sure. And he shows up at his own house. Everyone gets dead silent as he makes this huge, grandiose, pompous speech. He's essentially congratulating Dent and saying how great of a man he is. But it makes you dislike Bruce Wayne here. I mean, I would never want to hang out with this guy. Yeah, no, not at all. But that's the beauty. Like Christian Bale actually, I think, plays the best Bruce Wayne. Because his character to this story is not supposed to be likable. He's supposed to be the party boy. That's the, that is so obvious. It's inobvious. You know, he's so obvious and out there and, and just an idiot that they don't even see Batman right in front of him. So I, I really like, and I was thinking about it and I'm like, man, this is Christian Bale. I think does the best Bruce Wayne. Now his Batman, I don't know if I'm as big of a fan of, but the Bruce Wayne character, I think he fits maybe the best that I've ever seen yeah, I would actually agree with that. I like him. I like his, his acting performance the best when he's Bruce. He, he's, yeah. he does what he's meant to do. Yeah, as Batman, it's just like, eh, whatever. So also in this scene, we get a, the forming of the love triangle because Bruce reveals he still has feelings for Rachel, and they talk out on the balcony, and then Dent comes out, and Dent obviously loves Rachel, and so they're both in love with the same girl, but they both respect each other as well. And Rachel seems to love both of them she's on the fence the whole time like you never know which side she's gonna jump on yeah i don't think she knows which side she's on i don't think she does either not until the end so back at the police station ramirez has analyzed the card 
that was found in the judge's booklet. And she has found DNA belonging to the mayor that I mentioned earlier. Commissioner Loeb, who's the police commissioner. He was in the last movie. I don't think we ever talked about him. Yeah. And the judge that sentenced all those criminals. Gordon interprets this as a threat correctly as a threat against all three of those people. And they attempt to protect all, all the three of them. Yeah. So the judge gets in her car, reads a note from the Joker and then blows up. Uh, She was supposed to, the note was supposed to say where she was going to protect herself, but instead she's blown up by this car bomb. So the judge is dead. The commissioner drinks some brandy because he says he's been on under these kind of threats before, but his glass that he keeps in his desk in his office is poisoned and he's killed. Yeah. And then the the poison starts smoking and all that. And it's like, Oh, that does look like nasty poison stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't think poison actually smokes like that, but uh, it's kind of cool. if It was a cool, cool detail. I kind of thought it maybe was that stuff they used to burn off warts. What's that freeze stuff? Like, yeah, like an acid sort of thing. Yeah. The freezing, the cold stuff. Yeah. Whatever that is. Oh yeah. And then the Joker himself arrives at Wayne. It's not Wayne Manor though. He has a, he has an apartment downtown. No, yeah, I think... no, it's, it's, it's his penthouse. Yeah. So the Joker arrives there to take Harvey Dent. I guess he wants to kill Dent or, or kidnap Dent. Yeah. So again, all of Batman's guests, Bruce Wayne's guests, are impossibly silent. As the Joker walks in with all his henchmen, he talks a bunch of shit. He eats their shrimp. He drinks their champagne. He's making jokes. He threatens everybody. No one says a word. Well, I mean, they're all yeah, they're all the rich elite. So they're what are they going to do? They're just going to be like, oh, oh my god. And then one guy kind of says something to him, and he starts to get up in his face, and he gets ready to tell his, "You want to know how I got these scars?" Story. But then Rachel steps in, and he goes, "Well, hello, beautiful. You must be dense squeeze." And they get a nice little scene where she. But the cool thing for that about this scene is like when he has her by the by the mouth and it has the knife up to her and it's telling his story, like her eyes, she just looks so terrified. Yeah. And and it's it's she, I, that's why I think she does a, a spectacular job in her performances, Rachel. But uh, she looks so terrified and the story, you know, he he does he finishes his story, but then she kind of like kicks him and gets him off, and then a, the first Batman Joker uh, encounter happens. She kicks him or does something, and he says, oh, you've got some fight in you. Or he says, yeah, I like that. And Batman says, well, you're going to love me. Yeah. It's a nice kind of cheesy line, but uh, it's definitely cheesy. Yeah, I actually wrote that down (laughs) as one of my favorite lines, but I'll just say it now because I I like that one. (laughs) But then Batman, he kicks everyone's ass, all the Joker's henchmen. The Joker is kind of hiding behind his henchmen and throwing them into Batman, but then taking his shots where he sees fit. And he's got this knife device in his shoe where he's able to like do a switchblade in his shoe and kick at Batman with mm-hmm. a knife. I love that. That's that's a cool little touch. Well, that's a beautiful Joker. That's like a perfect Joker type weapon. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it fits the character. Mm-hmm. But he gets his hands on Rachel. He <clears throat> takes her over to the window and he breaks the window and then throws her out. So Batman dives after rachel and this is yet another pretty insane scene ridiculous scene like they're 
yeah. falling down the city hundreds of feet, if not you know, a thousand feet or more. He catches up to her in time, and then they just slam into a car. He didn't even like really slow the fall much. It, they just not a whole lot. I mean, he blocks the blow, I guess, but I would think that they'd be a little more fucked up from that. No matter what kind of armor you've got on, that's going to kill you, man. That's a long fall. I would think so, but he he does use his cape to slow them down a bit. So that's the only the only way you could justify is that he uses the cape to slow him down, and the fall is not as hard as if they'd have fallen that. Because if they'd have fallen from that, they're like a hundred stories up. If he'd have fallen from that height, they'd be dead. Yeah. Well, they they're fine with it. They make a couple they make a couple corny jokes when they're down there, like oh, let's not do that again. But what do you think the Joker did after that? So he's still in the room. Yeah. With all those I, guys. I like, where did he go? Yeah, like why didn't Batman be like instead of being like. Oh, let's not do that again. Oh, yeah, yeah. His little love scene with Rachel. How about get on your horse and get and take the elevator back up there and, and fight the Joker? You know, yeah, you you know where he's at, and you know all the ways in and out of the building. So that was your chance, yeah. Batman. I guess the Joker made some hot getaway because you would think he'd have to go take a helicopter to get out of there because he would eventually have to come down the elevator to the front to get out. But, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, he he escapes. It is what it is. Yeah. So now after these events, Dent is pissed off and he intends to move Lau. Where is he going? From, exactly? from uh oh, from MCU, which is Gordon's Gordon's place to, to somewhere else, federal maybe. Okay. And they're constantly threatening Lau with this ominous county jail. So whatever whoever's in the county jail is just dying to kill Lau. They they threaten him with it, and Lau is scared shitless by the thought of going to the county jail. Well, yeah, they know that if he goes there, there's a bunch of Maroney's men, and they're going to kill him, probably. So Batman is doing some intel on the Joker now, at, back at the Batcave or whatever, the Bruce Manners. Bruce's manor. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce's manners. Bruce's manor. But he's doing he's, got, very, he's got a polite manner. Yeah, he's got a very polite manner and a nice house, too. <laughs> But he's doing his intel on the Joker, and Alfred tells a very strange metaphorical story about a previous life that he had as a, like a cop or a jewel yeah, trader. I think it, I think it was military, some sort of military uh, yeah. person, uh, yeah, for the he, for for the British Army or something. He tells the tale of searching for this guy that's stealing jewels, but they could never find him because he was giving away the jewels. It seemed like they could have picked a little better metaphor. Oh, I love that story though. Did you? Tell, I didn't like that. Yeah. No, I like it because it it talks about the he's talking about the some people, you know, they're just doing it to do it. They're not out for logical reasons like money or success or like other things. They're just doing it for sport, he says. And he's like maybe you don't fully understand the Joker because uh, Bruce Wayne says, well, criminals are not that complicated. We can figure we, once we figure out what he wants, we can figure him out. And he's like, what if he doesn't want anything? What if he's just out doing it for fun? Yeah, that's he's just kind a of, crazy guy. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of the Joker because the Joker eventually gets to a point where he doesn't even want to kill Batman because Batman's just too much fun for him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and the point of what he was saying was to try to convince Batman that there is no rhyme or reason to the Joker. It's, it's chaos, or it's supposed to be mm-hmm. chaos. And speaking of the Joker, he now kills two random men one of their names is Harvey, and one of their names is Dent. So he's sending a message that he wants to kill Harvey Dent. Batman inspects the scene, and Gordon and his whole unit is there. 
Ramirez, the cop that we mentioned, she kind of stands up to Batman here. Because Batman yeah. says, let me examine the scene before your men contaminate it. And she's the only one with the balls to say, hey, what? Are, you know, fuck you, pal. We're not going to contaminate it. We're professionals, too. No, she says something like, she says, you're the reason we're here anyways. So this is because Batman has refused to take off his mask and people, and he's killing people for it. Yeah. Well, I like that, man. Way to, way to stand your ground, Ramirez. Yeah. Stand up to the Batman. I mean, she's a dirty cop, but whatever. Yeah. So Batman does some detective work. He gets a bullet out of the wall and he ends up getting a fingerprint off of this bullet shard. Yeah. Using all the magnificent, magnificent scientific tools that would take years and years to master and train, I feel like, to have learned how to use. But he, he just knows how to do it. Yeah, he knows everything. He knows how to do everything. <clears throat> but one thing he didn't know how to do was disguise his identity from the sinister Mr. Reese. Who now goes to Lucius Fox and reveals that he has uncovered some blueprints that contain the prototype for the Batmobile. And Reese, working for Wayne Enterprises, puts two and two together and knows that his employer, Bruce Wayne, is Batman. And he's going to blackmail Bruce and the company for, what's he say, $10 million a year? Yeah, $10 million a year for the rest of his life. Yeah, Lucius gives him one of my, my one of my favorite lines of the show. So he gives it back. I won't say it here, but uh, the line he returns to him just really puts him in his place. And the sinister Mr. Reese has to tuck his tail between his legs and go back hiding to his job. He does. But it's now we know. Someone else knows the true identity of Bruce Wayne or Batman. I guess everyone knows Bruce Wayne. But, you know. Yeah. So Fox shuts him down. And then there's the scene of the funeral for the commissioner who was poisoned and killed. Do they do that in big cities for a, a, when a cop gets killed? Uh, I never saw it happen in New York or Las Vegas, but my, I'm sure it's happened. It's like a big parade. They have a show of arms and the flags and the taps and everything. Yeah. Wait, and who, who are they celebrating? Or I mean, who are they mourning? It's, it's the commissioner who died. Low. Oh, the, guy, the guy that drank the, the drink? The yeah. poison drink? Oh, yep. Okay, yeah. So this is another scheme from the joker he disguises himself and some of his men as the police none of them notice the scars on his face or the fact that they have never worked with this person so he infiltrates the police and long story short he uses the supposedly decorative guns for the ceremony to actually try to assassinate the mayor and that was the last target on his hit list I think the coolest thing is that we actually see the Joker without his makeup on. So, like, you actually see Heath Ledger's face, but with the, he still has the scars, but he has no makeup on. So you, you that's probably the coolest part of that. And then, yeah, then the fact that we get, you know, they sound off their gunshots and they're shooting guns in the city, which is just a bad idea anyway, I think, you know, like those buildings all around. Especially when somebody's threatened your life and you're standing on stage around it, so whatever. But then they point the guns down for another shot, and they all point them up at the the what's his name the the mayor, mayor. yeah, yeah the mayor. mayor, and then they end up shooting Jim Gordon. Yeah. You know, so well, they don't shoot Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon jumps in front and takes the bullet. Yeah. And now we actually get a little bit of the de- uh, development for the mayor's family or not the mayor, but Gordon's family, you meet his wife and his son 
and they appear several times throughout the rest of the movie. Yep. Not a bad little cameo for the two of them. And she mm-hmm. receives the news that her husband is dead. She cries. She's distraught. The son yeah, she, cries. She's, she sells that scene well, too. And it's like not even not even a very big part, but she sells it really well. Dent himself was at this funeral, Harvey Dent. And he finds one of the Joker's conspirators. He's an insane person named Schiff. He's a paranoid schizophrenic, I think, as Batman later describes him. And he yeah. sees that Schiff has a name tag on that says Rachel Dawes. So he deduces that Rachel is next to be attacked by the Joker. He calls and warns Rachel that she needs to get to safety. Yeah. And the, the biggest point of this is, is we see that Dent is now on the verge of ruining his good name. So Batman says... What do you expect to get out of him? He's just a say schizophrenic, you know. So, but he's got him. Uh, Dent has him has the guy in the alleyway and is pointing a gun at him and telling me he's going to shoot him if he doesn't tell him about the Joker and where to find the Joker and all that stuff. And uh, it just kind of shows that that Dent is <clears throat> the importance of Dent remaining clean and the White Knight of Gotham. Yeah, it's it's diminishing as as events unfold. And also, we have to point out that this entire time, Dent carries around a coin with him. It's shown to be a two-headed coin, but he flips the coin to make decisions, or as he calls it, to make his own luck. Because it seems like luck, but actually, he's rigged the game, so the, yeah. the coin is always heads. Yeah, he's always, the, the better deal's heads, and he always flips, and it's always heads because it's a two-sided coin. And when Batman stops him from killing this, this guy, Schiff, I wrote down that he has a very bad lisp when he talks. I know it's probably because of the way the mask fits on his face. Yeah, no, his whole mouth, like, it gets weirder and weirder as the movie progresses, where he's like, there's a lot of things that I'd like to say, but I can't say them all in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, it, it becomes lip- Marlon Brando from Don Juan DeMarco. No, he to, no, He has no. to take four breaths for every no. sentence. Well, he just like yeah, he can't. He, I don't know what it is, but he can't. He just can't spit out the whole sentence, and he's he gets over focused on his his mouth and his delivery. It's like just disguise your voice a little bit, man. Stop going way overboard like it, this. He does go super overboard, and also going overboard, he interrogates Marconi or Maroni. Mm-hmm. Maroni. All right, he. He interrogates Maroni, and there's there's a scene of him beating up all these henchmen in the nightclub. Pretty cool. He gets the Maroni. He takes him up to a rooftop, and he holds him off the edge. And Maroni keeps a, a cool head. He says, "You, this is no way to interrogate someone. Take it from someone yeah. who would know. I would never from, die from this fall." From one professional to another. If you're gonna hold, if you're gonna somebody, pick a better spot. The fall from this site wouldn't kill me. I'm counting on it. <laughs> yeah, he drops him off the edge, and then you clearly hear this man's legs break, right? Both legs. Oh, yeah. Ankles just shattered. Absolutely shattered. So he falls down there, breaks his legs. Batman jumps down to finish interrogating him. And Marconi, Maroni, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Maroni says every single line so calmly, like his legs are not broken in a 100 different places right now. It's agonizing to have a broken leg. No, he's like, he's like, you, you got one, you got one. Like he's, he's definitely like, 
he's in pain, but it's but he's still being defiant to Batman. Yeah, he says, I'm not I'm not worried about you. No one's gonna rat out the Joker. Don't you know what that guy's capable of? So he refuses to talk because he's so scared of the Joker. They're hip to your game. You got rules. The Joker doesn't have any rules. You know, he's like there's only one way to find him, but you already know what that is. Just take off your mask, you know. Yeah, that's so, true. He does say Batman has rules, meaning Batman won't kill, but he knows the Joker. The Joker's not afraid to kill. After all these deaths, the Batman has decided that he's going to turn himself in, re- uh, reveal himself as Bruce Wayne, and he says his goodbyes to Alfred and to Rachel. Alfred says, I suppose I'll be locked up too, which is kind of funny because I think he probably would be, right? He's definitely a conspirator. Yeah, yeah, I think he probably would be, yeah. But he seems cool with it. He's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll just say now, to get it out of the way, this is all an elaborate plot from Batman and Harvey Dent. And can I, can I just say who else is in this plot and spoil it? Sure. All right, and Gordon is not dead. He's still alive. And this is all an elaborate plot to get the Joker out in the open and arrest him. How far in the fucking future were these guys able to see? Did he take that bullet knowing that he w- was not going to die? Well, Did it, it was going to happen? He fakes his own death to protect his family. So he, sa- he says, I, can't, I couldn't afford to risk my family. So that's why he's kind of faking it. Because everybody's he's going, the Joker's going after everybody's family and close ones, you know. And so Gordon proactively takes the step to get under the radar and have his family out of the risk, out of risk, you know? So, uh, so that kind of explains that, but at at the same time, I think Bruce Wayne was going there to admit he was Batman, but, but uh, Harvey Dent takes the fall so that he says that he's the Batman so he can distract everybody and the actual Batman can finish the job of what he needs to do, which is ca- find the Joker and capture him. So this scene is probably the most memorable scene in the movie. And the first time I, I saw it, I loved it. And this time I saw it, and it's probably my least favorite scene in the movie. It's very long. Yeah, it's 20 minutes. I just felt like I was watching The Fast and the Furious again. It's, it's this convoy yeah. of armored SWAT trucks driving Harvey Dent to prison and That'd the make Joker a lot of comes. Sense. Yeah, it's like, just ridiculous. Like at, at times you're just like the the burning the burning truck, the the fire truck that's on fire is just out there in the middle of all of a sudden out of nowhere. You could still drive around it. <laughs> like you don't have to go down in the bottom. Say just drive on the other side. I mean, you're the you're the, the police department. Just stop the other side of the traffic, drive around it, go keep up top. But no, they they refuse to see the signs, and they insist on going down underneath of the of the road in the in the subterranean uh, road, and then they're just in a shooting gallery, as they say. So the Joker has convinced a, an angry garbage man to drive his truck into them, and so they're getting attacked by this garbage truck right off the bat, and then the Joker pulls up in his own his own semi which he's hanging out the back of uh, him and a couple of goons are just firing away fully automatic pistols and stuff. Then he levels up and gets something a little bit bigger, a shotgun. Then he levels up one more time and gets a rocket launcher. And finally Batman's caught up and is helping to save the day. So he 
leaps his car. And this is the part that I, I was asking people. I was like, why? how does his car just leap, you know? Well, he, he activated some turbo mode that supercharged him, and, and he yeah. did a leap there. But it's got to be suspension because he's he's on flat ground, so there's got to be some suspension system that boings him up, and then he boosts forward. Well, he leaps up and absorbs this rocket launcher blow, and it blows his car up, but his car then turns into a motorcycle after the outer layer is blown apart. And then he's driving this weird motorcycle around. It's a high-speed chase. He's knocking all the mirrors off of cars. The helicopters that have come to reinforce the cops are being pulled down to the ground by the Joker's henchmen, which were conveniently placed in the perfectly right spots. Yeah, yeah he just knew. He just knew how. He knew those uh, air support would be flying right through there. I don't think they would be flying that low. They're down below Definitely the not. skyscraper level. No, no. Helicopters never go down into the skyscrapers like in the middle of them. That's just stupid. Completely ridiculous. But they get blown up. The helicopters get blown up. All the cars, the SWAT team cars get blown up. The Joker's cars do. Batman's car does. And at the end of it, Joker gets his car wrecked by Batman, who's wrapped up his wheels and caused him to flip over. Yeah, completely. just the, the whole the whole truck just, just does a complete nose stand and goes flips over. <clears throat> but the interesting part about this scene is that it really uh, it shows some hum- humanity out of from the Joker, you know, where he's going like where Batman's charging back at him in, in his motorcycle and Joker's got the, the Tommy gun or whatever. And he's firing off. He goes, he's going do it, do it. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Hit me, hit me. He's standing there basically uncertain of the future just kind of offering himself up to die at the hands of batman but in order for that to happen batman has to make the choice to kill so it would turn him into a killer so it's a pretty interesting moment i thought the interesting part for me was batman's decision so he decides (laughs) not to kill the joker but instead of just stopping and getting out and arresting him he rams his motorcycle into the fallen truck and just falls over dead He's been yeah. driving this thing like a wizard the entire time, and now he just crashes into this non-moving yeah. vehicle and dies. It's like it's like, dude, just just yeah, just veer off. You know, you don't have to hit him. Like, I guess he's he's caught in between whether he should kill him or not too, because he sees this guy as pure evil. But then at the last minute, he jerks the the bike out of the way and starts sliding, and then all he does is slide his bike into the something, and then all of a sudden he's unconscious. <laughs> So was he pretending there to be unconscious so that Gordon could get the drop on the Joker? That's a good question. I don't know. Or was he really unconscious? I don't know. Unconscious. That's a good question. It didn't seem that planned out until Gordon poked out as the secret undercover agent that's been riding along the whole time. Yeah, that's the big MacGuffin. The big reveal is the Joker finally gets down with his knife and he's about to cut Batman's throat or mouth or whatever. And Gordon gets behind him and pulls a shotgun on his head. And so the Joker is apprehended. Mm -hmm. One little detail I liked though, is when Batman's knocked out, one of the Joker's henchmen goes up and tries to touch his mask and he gets shocked. So it's like an electric fence. And the Joker loves that. He, he like almost comes in his pants when, when he sees that he starts gyrating and shaking. Yeah. I love that little little detail for the Joker. The way he sells that, he's so excited by yeah, Batman. Yeah, and th- and then he spit, and then he yeah, then he spits on his own henchmen. It's just like he's like, yeah, you you're not you're not cool enough to be on our level. So the Joker's taken into custody, and Dent 
is taken to safety. And I'd like to point out, I noticed in this scene, when Dent is taken to safety, the camera zooms in on the face of Ramirez, the cop that we've mentioned over and over again. She's always a background character in all these scenes, but they zoom in on her face and she makes a face like, hmm, I'm thinking about something devious. Yeah, things you really wouldn't notice on the first watching, but it makes sense on the second or third. At the police station now, Gordon is named the new commissioner and everyone claps for him because the old commissioner got assassinated. So finally, we can stop calling him Jim Gordon and he's Commissioner Gordon like we've all known him. Pretty cool that the Joker claps for him, too. I like that. He's just staring at him, like, psychotically, and then he starts clapping like a seal almost. And Gordon goes home to see his family, who thought he was dead, and his wife just slaps the shit out of him. Deservedly so. Come on, Jim. Don't take your job so fucking seriously, man. Like, don't tell your family you're dead. Yeah, let your family in on the fucking thing, at least, you know? Yeah, just tell them and then hide them, rather than, you know. they They weren't even that safe. Yeah, they're still at their own house. Yeah, I mean, I guess now they're safe because with him that not there, the Joker wouldn't use them to get to him. But at the same time, it's your wife. You should probably tell her you're going to fake your death. He comforts his young son, and then within minutes, he's back out doing more police work. So he can't even spare his family an hour's worth of time. No. Back to work. No, he's married to the job. Yeah. And back at the jail, there's another inmate, a henchman of the Joker's, and he's complaining about stomach pain. And he's clearly insane, but the police are ignoring him because he's a cop killer. But he's begging for medical aid. He delivers a really cheesy line. Oh, yeah. I I didn't like that actor very much, actually. No, not at all. I just remember cringing when I watched it, being like, ugh. Yeah, it was bad. Something like, he promised me it would be like Christmas or something yeah, like that. He'd replace it with lights like Christmas. <laughs> and he starts to laugh and like, yeah, it was just like, Ugh. The Joker is now being questioned first by Gordon. He's not really talking to Gordon. So Gordon turns on the lights and out of the shadows comes Batman. And Batman and the Joker have their first meaningful interaction here where they're actually speaking to each other, I think. Pretty cool and scene, we- right? It is a really good scene, and we get into some like of the philosophical stuff where he starts talking about you're not like them, you know. They these guys were not the same. He's like he's Joker's trying to convince Batman that he's more like him than he is like the other people. He tells Batman he completes him, which I love his delivery of that line. Yeah, he's like, "Kill you? I don't want to kill you. You complete me." Yeah, he shakes and, his head, like holds his yeah. arms out, like a poor, poor young yeah. tiny Tim. And it's and it's the truth. It is. It's like these are the two foil characters of each other, and they're just perfect opposites in their own extreme different ways. And yeah, so he he sort of has a fun little moment where he gets to sort of try to convince Batman that he's just as weird as he is. Yeah, and he also wants to force Batman to kill, or to lead to someone's death, and it. Yeah. is in revealing his master plan. So we said earlier that the fellowship of justice was talking about this great plot and this great plan all along, but the Joker has an even bigger plot and bigger plan. He had intended to be ca- caught all along. Yeah. He and MacGuffed the MacGuffers. He MacGuffed the MacGuffers and he has people on the inside that have kidnapped 
both Harvey Dent and Rachel. And Batman has to choose which one he's going to save. He has five minutes, I think, to get to where they're at. And he tells them their address. And that's only enough time to save one of them. So he's very clear that only one of them can be saved. Yet it seemed to me like they could have probably both been saved. Well, I don't know how far away one place is as opposed to the other. But it seemed close. It was it was close. They could it could have both both been saved if they had just got there a little quicker. I guess it was still a buzzer buzzer beater, you know, to get uh, Harvey Dent out. Yeah, Batman goes to one address and Gordon goes to the other address. But once again, even with that, it's a trick by the Joker. So he tells he tells Batman that she's at one location and he tells him that Richard that um, Harvey Dent is at another location and that's mixed up too so Batman is actually going for Rachel and he thinks he's going for Rachel but he ends up showing up and where Harvey's at it's another backwards trick it's just a, it exemplifies that nothing is straightforward when it's with the Joker no Every, that that is a nice little touch too because it's not really necessary but it's just a way to fuck with Batman just yeah. switch, switch the addresses. So while this is going on, Dent and Rachel are able to communicate with each other. The Joker was nice enough to leave them a speakerphone <laughs> or something there. That was nice of them. And so they're talking to each other, and each is comforting the other because they know what's going on, and they know only one of them is going to be saved. It's pretty cool how at first Dent seems resigned to dying because he knows that Batman would go for Rachel. Yeah, but he doesn't know that Joker switched the addresses. So yeah. Rachel is trying to comfort him, and you can kind of see the a relaxed state where she knows she's going to be saved. But yeah. then when when Batman bursts into the room where Dent oh, is, yeah. she's like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna die!" And yeah, I, I and love her acting performance here. It was very good. Yeah, me too. Like she does such a great job of of processing all this all at once, right in front of us, and she's just like, "Oh." Okay, okay, okay. And she kind of calms down and takes this deep breath, and it's just like, wow, there's this moment of peace, sort of like she's just realized, wow, I'm going to die. She professes her love for Dent, and then she is blown to smithereens. That is actually one of the things that I really like about this movie is that they're willing to kill off a character like her. Because now now that they've done that, now that we see a main character die... No one's safe, you know? It's like that Game of Thrones sort of thing where it's just like anyone could, could die now. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big surprise the first time I saw it. I will say that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so Maggie Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal good job mm-hmm. as Rachel, and see you later. Adios. Bye-bye. Another cool detail is while Harvey is in his chair, he's trying to get loose, and he knocks over a barrel of gas and his chair. So the gas is pouring on one side of his face and into his yeah. hair, mm-hmm. just on one side. So then Batman yeah. gets him out, but a piece of the fire or you know, a small bit of the explosion ignites the gas that was on Harvey's side of his yeah. face. And, and just, one whole half of his body goes up in flames. Yeah, it's really a beautiful setup for, for the Two-Face character. What Two-Face character? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't spoiled that yet. Oh, well, spoiler alert, he is now Two-Face. Oh, he's about to become Two-Face. I remember seeing this thinking in my head, like, 
we're already two hours into this movie and we're just getting introduced to Two Face as uh, as a villain. Like, yeah. how much how much more can this go on? Short and sweet for Two Face. While this is all happening and the death of Rachel goes on, the Joker is still in his cell, and there's another detective that's kind of a focal detective as a supporting character. I don't remember his name, but he's on the screen a lot. He's guarding Joker from inside the cell, which is probably not the best idea. The Joker goads him into a fight by claiming to know how many of his friends and coworkers he's killed. This officer can't resist the opportunity to pummel the Joker. So he walks over, rolls up his sleeves like he's about to kick the Joker's ass. And then the next thing you see, the Joker has him by the throat with a knife to his throat. I would have mm-hmm. loved to have seen how the Joker got the upper hand on this guy. Well, yeah, it would have been interesting to see, but it wasn't a knife. It was a shard of the mirror that Batman had broken when he'd slammed him into it. But, uh, yeah, I think we get the idea that, okay, you're a low-level henchman for the, for the police department, and this is the Joker, okay? You, you, you don't stack up. You don't cut the chops. Yeah, well, I guess he didn't. He got his ass kicked by the Joker. He even says to the other cops, just shoot him. It was my own damn fault. So I I like that he takes responsibility for fucking this up. But now the Joker has the entire police department under, I guess they're, they're kind of all being held hostage there because he has the knife at the guy's throat. And he says, all I want is my phone call. So they give him his one phone call and he calls a cell phone that is in the stomach of the prisoner we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So the Joker sewed a bomb or a cell phone bomb into the stomach of this guy, placed him or had him placed in the perfect cell, called the bomb, blew it up, and killed everyone in the police station except him somehow. More ingenious planning by the Joker. <laughs> I mean, him not getting hurt by this explosion while he's in the building and everyone else dying. That one I couldn't overlook. Like, you can't even plan for that. That's just a plot hole. Yeah, he just puts his head down and, like, everything explodes. And then he's like, oh, I'm okay. So he walks out and he steals a police car and he's free again. And I love the scene where he's sticking his head out the window and he's, like, barking and howling. And Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And somebody else is driving. So, you know, he does have henchmen doing things for him. So Yeah, he seems to have an endless supply of henchmen. Even though he says his team is small at a different time, he's got a lot of people doing a lot of different things. That's the only way to explain it. That poor guy that he put the bomb in his stomach, he was an insane person, and Joker just killed him, really, for a a joke or a a scheme. Well, yeah, for a scheme. like You're not safe when you're around the Joker. He didn't kill everyone in the precinct because Lau was locked up there as well, and he gets Lau out of his cell and takes him with him. And at this point, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I forgot Lau. Yeah, he's still part of the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that added a lot of runtime to the movie, the whole Lau subplot. I mean, it, I can't say yeah. it was necessary or unnecessary, but it, it ended up being a pretty long movie. And yeah, it's a very long movie. Rachel, before her death, had left a letter with Alfred telling him, well, telling Bruce. It was I, She was supposed to get the letter to Bruce, but. But she did give it to him and said, give it to him when the time is right. And he says, how will I know if, when the time's right? And she goes, it's not sealed. So she gives it to him and tells him to read it, basically, and then give it to him when he's ready. Whatever Alfred's getting paid, it's not enough. No. 
You know, he still cooks Bruce breakfast, too. He's actually the butler, and he does all this other shit. There was a while when, you know, Bruce was gone. I'm sure he had plenty of years off where he just did whatever the fuck he wanted to do, though. What a life it must And you're completely bulletproof. It must be great to be Alfred. Yeah. But he hides the letter from Bruce, and the contents of the letter read that Rachel would not be with Bruce, whether he was Batman or not. She was throwing him to the wayside and ending any potential relationship they might have had. And choosing Dent. Yes, yeah, and choosing Dent. And Bruce was led to believe the exact opposite. And he even says that to Alfred. She was going to choose me. So yeah. he's really torn up about the death of Rachel because he thought they had a future together. And then Alfred's giving him breakfast, and he puts the note down, and then then Batman says, or Bruce Wayne says that, he goes, she was going to wait for me. And then he's like, uh, let me grab that letter. Maybe now's not the right time. Yeah. yeah. Good, good move, Alfred. So we'll go back to the Joker now, who has gotten all the money that belonged to all the different gangs that Lau had been washing or laundering for them. How do you think they got all these bills? Did they just withdraw it all from his Swiss bank account that he's hiding it in at once? Is there no deposit? There's no withdrawal limit from this billions of dollars? I, um, <laughs> if you have billions of dollars, even if there is a withdrawal mil- mil- limit, I don't think it bothers you. <laughs> no, it's like I, most of this money would be digital. It probably wouldn't even be cash. If yeah, it's Lau's just a ma- it's on it. literally a mountain of cash that he's on that he's like standing on with Lau at the top. Yeah, and Lau's at the top, gonna get burned. He's gonna burn all this money because the Joker doesn't give two shits about the money. Yeah, he's he's still in league with the Chechen. The Chechen always kind of believed him. He's always like said, uh, "the the Joker was right. We have to kill the Batman." And he's like, I want to hear what he has to say at the beginning. So the Chechen kind of believes in him. And, and at this point, he's like, what are you going to do with all your money? And he's like, I'm a man of, that likes things that are cheap and gasoline you know, and whatever. And then he sets it on fire. And the Chechen's like, what? And he's like, I'm only burning my half of the money. And he's like, I'm a, I, this town deserves a better class of criminal. And I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, he demands that the Chechen gives him his men, and they all work for him now. And the Chechen says, my men will never work for you. And the Joker says, well, maybe we'll just cut you up and feed you to your dogs. And then they drag him away. So I'm assuming that they did cut cut the Chechen up and feed him to the dogs, because you never see him again. That's it. Yeah, it's very possible. Very possible he got chopped up and fed, and then the Joker just took his gang. And that's how he's got more people working for him still. Yep, and he also employs the dogs because we'll see later that the dogs are now under the employ of the Joker. Yep. So pretty cool. Good. See you later, Mr. Chechen. Got eaten alive by your own dogs. That's tough. Tough. Tough way to go out for the Chechen. I liked him too. Yep. So in the hospital, Harvey Dent is becoming demented. He's yelling at everyone that visits him. Gordon visits him at one point and he screams at him. He demands that Gordon say what they used to call him when he was coming up in the legal system. And Gordon reluctantly says, we called you Harvey Two-Face. So it's the true birth of the Two-Face character. But I would wanted to point out here, when Gordon leaves the hospital, he spots Maroney in the hospital hallways, stand, <laughs> standing with no cane, no crutches, 
nothing with two completely and utterly broken legs. And also, well, we don't know how bad he broke his legs. Oh my just, god, you heard them crack, just, dude. They were femur cracks. This could have been his an- this could have been his ankles. He's not standing on his own after that for sure. <laughs> but also, why is Maroney standing right outside of Harvey Dent's door? Like, how does he have <laughs> access to that? <laughs> like how does it like is, he could kill any of them if he wanted to? Yeah, well, Gordon doesn't even care. They just say a few words to each other, and he just walks on out. The Joker now is somehow able to hack into broadcast television, putting a bounty out on the sinister Mr. Reese. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Reese has threatened to reveal the identity of Batman, and Joker doesn't want that, so he puts a bounty on Reese. And that adds another. this is another part of the subplot that I wondered if we really needed, but it was kind of fun. So they're now taking – they have to protect Reese because everybody that has a family member in the hospital has a reason to kill him because if he's not dead, he's going to start blowing up hospitals. So everyone that's got a family member in the hospital is like, we got to kill this guy. Yeah, it's so, not an actual bounty. They're trying to preserve these hospitals that are under threat. Yeah, and it's like uh, there's all these different hospitals. There's so many people that are connected to people in the hospital that they're willing to kill – the sinister Mr. Reese over losing one of their loved ones. And that's actually pretty cool because if the Joker's main idea is to cause chaos and anarchy, you're turning the entire city into potential yeah. murderers. So I love that. That's, that's actually pretty neat. Yeah. He, de- he definitely is all about, and they say, I think at that point, what, what do I have to do to get you people into the game? Or maybe that's the next one coming up, but he's like, what do I have to do to get you people into the game? So he's not only creating chaos like in the things that he's doing, but he's turning the city into a chaotic place by like incentivizing, you know, murder. Yeah, incentivizing people to kill each other for making a choice between killing each other or or dying. Yeah, very. The Joker is really ramping up, and this is all just. I assume that this was, you know, within a few days or days of all these events happening. And I consider what you said, where maybe more time is going by than we think. And I, I've settled on it has to be that. There has to be yeah. more time going by than we think. Otherwise, the guy's burning the uh, candle at both ends. I mean, he's gonna, oh, he's for sure. Yeah, he's the greatest schemer of all time. So Gordon is taking a leadership role here to evacuate all the hospitals. They get all these school buses in to evacuate the hospitals. We'll ignore the logistics of taking all these people off their respirators and life support to get on a school bus. Yeah. You can't just evacuate a hospital, but whatever. Some people died. I'm sure. Yeah. A lot of people probably died, but while this is going on, the Joker has now left the police station and it was nighttime when he left. So I'm assuming he hasn't slept. He has gone into the hospital, disguised himself as a nurse, killed a couple police officers. He goes to Harvey Dent's room, and I laugh every time when I see when I see this. He's talking to Harvey Dent, and it's clearly the Joker. He's got the paint yeah. on, but he's wearing a, a nurse's mask, and he's talking to the to Harvey Dent. And then when he takes off the mask, Harvey Dent jumps like he didn't <laughs> know it was the Joker. Yeah, <laughs> oh, he starts struggling. It's like you couldn't tell. Like uh, I don't know. He's like, man, this nurse is really ugly. But then he takes the mask off. Oh shit, it's the Joker. <laughs> why is this why is this nurse got white face paint on too? Completely ridiculous. 
In a tier that the Joker claims to be an anarchist and hates schemers, he goes on this big spiel about how he hates schemers. But I've already pointed out, the Joker is the scheme master. This is all the Joker's scheme. Yeah, and even this is a scheme. This is a scheme and a plan to get Harvey Dent to sink down to his level, the, to become, you know, one of these fucking super, super villain type type people. Yeah, at first he wanted to kill Dent, but now that Dent is somewhat wicked and, and bitter after what happened to Rachel and what's happened to him, he's evil. He's becoming evil, and the Joker knows that. So rather than kill him, he saves Dent. And gets yeah. him out of the hospital. We didn't talk yeah. about the CGI on Dent. Pretty fucking awesome, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, like, oh, I don't want to say realistic because it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like somebody could really survive with that going on, I don't think. But it's almost, it's, it's what it would really look like if someone could do that. Yeah, you know? he, he doesn't show a lot of pain, which I'm imagining he would be in the hmm. worst pain imaginable. Especially when he takes the shot in the next Ugh. one of the next few scenes and it drips down his chin. I'm like, that had to burn so fucking bad on that raw skin. But he looks really good. He doesn't seem to be in that bad of pain and he is released. I really love the gore. Like they put little splotches of blood on the side of his shirt and down the right like the, the left side of his body. Mm-hmm. I love that little detail. Like yeah, he's just and I dripping like blood. The mesh bandage and stuff that it, he is wearing on his face is like it just I didn't know, it looks cool, yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. So he saves Dent, and he blows up the hospital. So he's also had time to hide tons of explosives all around the hospital. He blows it up, and this is another iconic scene. He's walking out of the hospital slowly in his nurse's outfit, kind of skipping along, wearing mm-hmm. seemingly he's in high heels. Just the the little subtleties of his character here when he's walking are so great, the, the yeah. details. And then the, the charge doesn't go off fully, and he turns around and kind of shakes his head. Like, hmm, hmm, what happened? happened? And then he blows up the rest of it. Yeah, then he hits the controller a couple times, and then all of a sudden explodes, and he jumps off onto the bus. And it's just like, yeah, it's just beautiful, uh, beautiful insights into his character, just even in his alone moments, because nobody's around. He's not performing for anybody. Uh, this is just a, the camera and him, us and him. And he's still like a complete psycho goofball. Yeah, this is one of the scenes where I would say if it wasn't the Joker and it wasn't Heath Ledger as the Joker in this scene, I'd be like, oh, God, another stupid explosion. This scene's dumb. But the the things that he does in this scene make it great and memorable and awesome. For sure. Yeah, and he has this whole childlike thing about him that really is kind of fun where he's like, he hits the button and he's like, <laughs> what makes the sound of it blowing up and, and just like, yeah, he's walking and skipping just like, devil may care he doesn't nothing's bothering him it's just a great day in the life of the joker yep and he casually boards a bus which has 50 patients on it and drives away to an unknown location so i guess all the rescue personnel just left this bus full of people everyone else got out safely but these guys just got left for the joker to drive away with well i didn't even notice any people on there so i thought maybe it was just like his getaway thing yeah, the, the hospital director says later we're still missing 50, 50 patients and Harvey Dent. So they're all, they're all on the bus with him. And while this is going on, Bruce Wayne is in the fray, but he has to save his employee, the sinister Mr. Reese. 
it was being attacked by the general public. These guys are just pulling out guns in front of cops trying to shoot Reese. This was actually right before the hospital blew up that this was happening. Yeah. But everyone's trying to assassinate Reese. Gordon is trying to get him to safety. The cop that is with them even tries to assassinate Reese. And Bruce Wayne, disguised as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman, drives in front of a oncoming truck that was going to T-bone and kill yeah. Reese. He he takes the blow and then he, he shirks all responsibility yeah. for this act and says, I was just trying to beat the light. Well, yeah, and Gordon is there. And the, that's the funny thing is that Gordon and him talk all the time as Batman, but Gordon does has never talked to Bruce Wayne hardly except for like maybe a one scene in the last movie, but when he's a kid. So, or when he, and then he, before he recruits him as Batman. So we don't know that Bruce Wayne or Gordon have any sort of relation. Yeah. And Bruce says, you think I should go to the hospital? And knowing that the hospital was under siege, Gordon yeah. says, you don't watch the news, do you, Mr. Wayne? It's a very brave thing you did. He's like, what, trying to beat the light? <laughs> so he, he has he does all these things for good, but he he takes no credit for it. So it's actually pretty pretty interesting. And he makes eyes with Reese while this is going yeah. on. I guess now that he has saved Reese's life, Reese is no longer a threat to reveal his identity. Is that the is that how that yeah. is? I guess yeah. He's proven he's proven himself to Reese, and Reese is now like probably owes him one. Well, we don't see the sinister Mister Reese again throughout the rest of the movie, so. Yeah, and that subplot is now dead. Yep, it was cool, but it's dead. Mm-hmm. So the Joker has not only hacked the news, but now he's stolen and kidnapped the news reporter. He makes more threats. He claims that he's going to own the city by nightfall, and he's really got to be stopped. It's total chaos around the city. So Batman is going to go to the deepest depths of his morals and ethics here to find out where the Joker is. So what's going on here? The joke, here's the way I saw it. Batman has everyone's cell phone in the city and he's triangulating it to create a network that can tell him where everyone is at any Basic, moment. Yeah, basically it's using voice recognition to track the Joker, but by using Lucius's technology of the sonar system, link, but linking all the cell phones in Gotham not just one cell phone. So he's linked all these cell phones and he can basically spy on and look and see anywhere if he would, if he had a voice sample and was like the program for anybody. So it's, it's unethical because it's spying on people and being able to just, you know, do whatever the, whatever you want. Was this a political commentary or what was the point of this subplot? They just have to get rid of Fox maybe. No, Fox had to stand up to him and tell him, listen, this is unethical and wrong. And I was, he says, as long as this is here, I'm not going to be working here. Right. He so, resigns. So this is the goodbye to the Fox character without killing him, right? But he doesn't resign. He does resign. No, he doesn't. He says, as long as this thing is here at Wayne Enterprise, I won't be. And so Batman tells him, type in your name whenever you're finished using it. And whenever he types in his name, it starts to self-destruct the whole system. Is Lucius Fox in the next movie? Probably. Ah. I, see, I, you're right, the, but I, I took it as Fox destroyed that system and, and quit. Yeah, I thought he, he no, quit after that. He, even what, when it shows him doing that at the end, it says some people deserve to be repaid for their faith, 
their faithfulness. And when he types it in, the whole system starts to explode. So it's no, it's no longer going to be there. So it's, it's literally just for Batman to find Joker. He has to find him. And in order to do that, it reinforces the idea that the, but the Batman's going to have to stoop to unethical behavior to get rid of this guy. Yeah, and he does. He, well, he gets Fox to do it. And Fox does agree to help him this one time only. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And I also thought it was interesting that Batman chooses to use the Batman voice with Lucius. Lucius knows who he is. He doesn't have to yeah. disguise his voice. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. I never even noticed that. Why did that's... he just talk with his normal voice? Yeah, that's so true. Maybe he was stuck in character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you don't have to put on the voice. I know it's you, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, come on, Bruce. Quit playing around, man. <laughs> anyway... To get to, let's go back to Two Face now, who is out on his own and he's trying to gain vengeance for what happened to him and Rachel. And the first person he wants to face is the corrupt cop, Wurtz. And Wurtz is the person that drove, that drove, uh, fuck, what's his name? Dent. Wurtz, Dent yeah. Wurtz is the person that drove Dent away from the big chase scene, seemingly to safety, but Wurtz is the one that took him to that warehouse. He's now drinking in a bar on his day off, and Two-Face confronts and kills him then and there. Uh, yeah, he, Two-Face's whole thing now is flip a coin, and he's got his old two-sided coin, but now one of the sides is all dark and dirty, just like his face, and fucked up. So if it lands on that side, you're dead. It's, a, it's all fate now, just a flip of the coin. Yeah, so he kills Wurtz, and his next target is... Maroney. So he confronts Maroney, who this time has a walking stick on his way into his limo. So they just forgot it in the last scene, I guess. It's just no <laughs> yeah, big deal. So. They just forgot yeah, that, it. That's, a, that's true. I forgot that he has a cane in this scene. So it doesn't make sense that he doesn't have a cane, cane in the last one. But he's in his limo. He's going to drive to safety and get out of the city. But Two Face is waiting for him in there. He pulls a gun on Maroney. Maroney reveals that the other dirty cop and the cop that drove Rachel to her destination to die was Ramirez, as we've already mentioned before. And so now with this knowledge, Two-Face says, all right, well, now it's your turn to flip the coin. He flips for Maroney. Maroney survives the coin flip. He says, well, that's good. Today's your lucky day. But it's not his because he flips it a second time and he, he's flipping for the driver of the limo. Yeah. So now Two-Face kills the driver, wrecks the limo, and I guess Maroney died in this wreck, right? Uh, we don't know. That, we don't uh, get any answer to that. There's nothing that insinuates that he's dead, but there's nothing that says that you know he's lived either. Well, if we don't see him again in the next movie, I'll say that he's dead. But if not, maybe he's still around. Yeah. Either way, sucks for him. He just wrecked the shit out of his car. And yeah, his driver Harvey, Harvey Dent was fine, though. Yeah, Harvey, Harvey was totally did. fine. He walks away, no problem. So he's now killed two people within a span of hours. For... Yeah, he killed, he's killed a dirty cop and a gangster. Yep. So now we'll get to what is what I view as the climax, probably, of the movie, or the climactic scene. And that is one last scheme by the Joker. So the commissioner has decided to load a bunch of civilians onto some ferries like the boats, to mm-hmm. get them across the river to safety. 
and also to get the prisoners from Arkham Asylum. Is it the asylum or is it the jail? I think it's most of the Maroney men and the, like criminals that couldn't make bail from the, the original prosecution. Okay. So, yeah, I think he does say that. They're all the organized crime guys. Yeah. Well, they're all on one boat. The civilians are on the other boat. And during the crossing of the river, all the lights go out and the master hacker, Joker, has once again hacked into the speaker systems of these ferries. <laughs> and he tells them all that both boats are rigged to blow and the other boat has the detonator. So these groups of people have to decide, either blow up the other boat or wait and get blown up yourself. You know what, though? Now that I'm thinking about it, I bet the Joker had the detonators to their own ships on there. He may you know have. I mean? Yeah, we like never if, find if that out. We don't find it out, but if they'd actually hit the button, there, it, there's a high possibility they could have been blowing themselves up. Possibly. Just by, the, yeah. just by pure Joker's, Joker schemism. Yep, and he's still accomplishing <laughs> his goal of turning these people into murderers because even if yeah. you blow up yourself, you still killed a bunch of other people and had the intention to murder. Yeah, it's like a, a punishment of for your own, you know, intentions, I guess. So this is a big moral debate between all involved, the, the criminals and the civilians. There's a few outspoken people in each group. And it's a kind of a prolonged scene all around yeah. when they're, they're just debating, you know, we should do it. No, we shouldn't do it. We can't do it. This and that. Yeah, but Not essentially... Essentially, like one boat decides, the, the civilian boat decides to do it. They vote heavily for it. And then all of a sudden, after the vote, the one guy goes, Well, we're still here. And if we're still here, that means they haven't pressed the button. And so everyone's like, Okay, all right. And one civilian steps up. It's like, All right, nobody wants to get their hands dirty. Okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And he eventually is the one that, that eventually tries to, like, tries to do it. But he chickens on, out too. He chickens out too. But then on the other boat, you've got the criminals, and you got Debo step into the scene, and now he's he's just so intimidating. He walks up to the warden or whoever it is, and he's like, "You don't know how to take a life, but you don't want us. But you you're gonna save one or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to me. I'll save it. I took. You could tell him I took it by force, and I'll do what you should have done." hours ago or minutes ago, whatever he said. And the guy <laughs> reluctantly finally shakes it and hands it to him. And then he just immediately grabs it and just tosses it out the window. <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, sloppy toss, because it could have hit the button and bumped on it and blown whoever, whichever ship sky high. Well, it, it was an the, excellent toss, though. I mean, that window wasn't a huge window, and he nails yeah, it. It wasn't a huge window, but it bumps on the side. Like, what if the button hits and you just accidentally blow somebody up in general? Yeah, that's true. But I did like how he threw it out immediately when he says, I'm going to do what you should have done. So he know even this criminal yeah. knows, like, come on, man, we're not blowing up these people. Yeah. So that so, was actually that was actually pretty – it was a pretty cool scene, but it was prolonged, for sure. You're, yeah, it was right. a little long. So meanwhile, Ramirez now, the other dirty cop, is confronted by Two-Face, and she, instead of being killed, is forced to make a phone call to Gordon's family and deliver them to Two-Face. So Two-Face doesn't kill Ramirez. She's the one that drove Rachel to that place, betrayed Rachel, and I'm assuming she's the one that put the Joker card in the judge's thing and all kinds of other horrible things. He doesn't kill her. He lets her live. 
Yeah, instead. because he's he's all about leaving everybody's decision up to fate. 50-50 shot. You get a coin flip. He flips the coin. It lands on the good head side for her. And he goes, well, it's your lucky day. And then he and but then he still backhands her and like beats her up a little bit. But but yeah, he's all about deci- deciding everybody's fate by the flip of a coin. And it should be noted that Ramirez isn't necessarily a bad person. When she admits to it, she says they got to me early. My mother's medical bills. So her mom. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, he didn't want to hear it, but she was doing bad things, maybe out of a place of necessity for her family or whatever. Words, yeah. on the other hand, seem like a, a drunk old fool. So, yeah, I'm yeah. saying he he was worse than her, for sure. So back to Batman now. He uses Lucius Fox's help and the device, the spying device, to locate Joker. All this is beyond me. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but he somehow uses these cell phones and this infrared vision to know where the Joker is and find him. It's all cool. It's cool to see. It's it is cool, but it's also like the sonar is confusing. It's hard to figure out. Like I, I I'm just it's the 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 scenes are sketchy. Like they're flying around in sonar vision and things are happening. And I I got a little bit just like I wish it was a little more clear. You know. Yeah, me too. But he saves the hostages, which as a as a trick of the Joker, the hostages are actually disguised as henchmen of the Joker. And the prisoners are actually the Joker's henchmen. So they're the Joker's trying to get the SWAT team to kill a bunch of civilians that's there. And Batman has to not only stop the, the bad guys, but he has to stop yeah. the SWAT team from killing other people. I mean, he has sonar access to every single cell phone in the whole city. And he can't send a text that's like, hey... Don't kill the doctors. They're the, they're the... <laughs> yeah, just send a text, man. Yeah, send a text, man. Come on, let me know you got home safe. Come on. So, so he beats up pretty much everyone that's there, and he doesn't kill any of them. He strings them up and hangs them from the building, but he doesn't kill anybody the whole time. Mm-hmm. He makes it up to the top floor where the Joker is there with three dogs. So the last thing, standing between him and, and achieving his goal of saving the city is three dogs and the joker <laughs> the dogs i mean he just beat up probably 40 people the yeah, dogs, the dogs just, are just kicking his ass <laughs> the dogs get him down and just fucking wail on his ass yeah they just chew uh, him up and batman seemingly kills one of the dogs he throws it off the cliff oh he definitely kills a dog and that's fucked up so i that think that's fucked up the dog batman was trained is, like that batman is a killer he killed a dog and using the dog's distraction or preoccupation of Batman, the Joker starts kicking his ass. I mean, he gets the upper hand in this fight and doesn't really lose it for a long no. time. Yeah, he's beating his ass the entire time. You don't I'm see this often. Batman is, when it comes to hand-to-hand, no one can he usually lose, touch yeah. Batman. I guess that's just an testament to the fact of uh, how good the Joker is at hand-to-hand combat, too. Yeah, he is a fighter, and he's not even – I mean, he has a stick or a bat or something, but he's not using guns. It's just – it's a brawl. It's a it's yeah. like a wrestling match. It's not the Raza Ghoul fight that we saw last time. I mean, he does have the gun – or the uh, the dogs with him, and he's got a lead pipe, and he's beating him with that. So, I mean, he's got the numbers, sort of. The dogs are just annoying, really, you know. Well, the dog earlier bit Batman, and he had to get stitched up by – Alfred, so this is somewhat of a callback. Just dogs own Bruce Wayne. 
But the Joker's got Bruce down, um, Batman. He's got him down. His head's hanging over the edge of the building. He's pressing this bar up against him. Batman, again, has no chest strength. He can't lift the bloody log, as Alfred said in the last (laughs) movie. And he can't lift the Joker off of him in the bench press form. So he doesn't have the chest strength. And he has to sit there and listen to the Joker say, we shouldn't be fighting. The real fireworks are about to start. And Batman says there's not going to be any fireworks because he knows that the people on the ferries have decided not to kill each other. Humanity yeah. abounds throughout the city. and Yeah, he knows people are good people, but also people are not good people. So, But he's like, what are you trying to prove? That everyone's as crazy as you? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and yeah, sort of that, that kind of is the Joker's thing. He's out to prove that people are, are all crazy, I guess, and just psycho. But, but he, gets pro- pro- he gets proven wrong. Yeah, he's proven wrong. And Batman finally gets out from under this death press that the Joker's doing by using his wrist guard things. We mentioned them in the last podcast. Now they're detachable. And so yeah. he reaches up and he detaches his wrist guard spikes into the Joker's face. And then he throws Joker off the building and then very unrealistically turns and accurately fires a zip line to catch <laughs> his ankle. Yeah. Not possible, like, but cool, whatever. Uh, I was like, well, he's a hell of a shot with that thing, I guess. I had a hard time believing it when Spider-Man would do it in movies, but this zip line is a machine. It's a gun. You, know, you have to aim it, and it's not possible. Yeah, it has to grab shit wrist right, and yeah, I don't think it's possible. So he pulls up the Joker, and the Joker's hanging there by his ankle, a little detail I love, too. As the Joker's falling, he's laughing maniacally. So he cannot wait to fall and die. Yeah, that's true. Like, he he has no fear of death at a, ever at any point in this movie. So Batman pulls him up by his foot, and they have a talk about good and bad. And I wrote down here the Batman voice is totally out of control in this scene. Oh, I mean, yeah, he, I know. He's off the it's, deep end. It's way over top, and his lips are poking out even further, and it's just like, I was like, why? How how did this voice get to this? Like, it's progressed to something even more crazy than it started. Like, I get disguising your voice, but now it's, like, annoying. Yeah, it, it, gets, it gets out of line here. But he leaves Joker hanging there, and he leaves them to the SWAT team, I guess, to, to get the Joker. I would not trust these cops with the Joker if I'm Batman. I'm taking him personally somewhere where he could be captured. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't trust any anybody in this city, really. So I know that Heath Ledger died after filming this, so he couldn't get back in the, the third movie. But his character doesn't die. Did they wrap up his story in any way in the third one? Mm, not that I recall. I mean, we're going to find out soon, but I don't recall. All right, well, that, that'll be for next week. But this story is not quite done. There's still one more loose end to wrap up, and that is... The fate of Two-Face. One more storyline to tie up. Okay, here we go. So, Two-Face holds Gordon's family hostage. Gordon goes to rescue them, and he is subdued very quickly. And they, he's pleading for his family's life as Two-Face is playing his coin game with the wife, the son. And he blames Gordon for his fate, for Rachel's fate. And he wants Gordon to feel the way he felt which is helpless as he watched his loved ones die. Mm -hmm. So Two-Face is 
being pretty mean here, and he's totally out of line. It's not Gordon's fault at all. Well, it's not Richard. Or it's not a. Why do I keep calling? I keep trying to call him Richard Dent. I, I actually oh. wanted to call him Richard Dent a couple times right. too. Uh, Harvey Dent um, is not there anymore. It's uh, Two Face. He's sunken into a psychotic person now. He's and he's obsessed with the idea of fate, and also with Gordon and his dirty unit. Yeah, so that's his, what it is. He's pissed that Gordon trusted Wirtz and Ramirez, despite yeah. his warning not to. Yeah, so he he's obsessed with that, and to the point of where he's capturing and killing all the people that he feels responsible for. Yeah, and he he wants to kill the son first because <clears throat> Gordon shows that he really doesn't want any of his family to die. He even offers to die in their place. Luckily, Batman shows up. And instead of just attacking Two-Face covertly, he walks right in front of him and talks to him and says, hey, don't do it. Two-Face, of mm-hmm. course, shoots him in the guts, seemingly putting Batman out of commission. And he goes back to holding up the sun. But then Batman gets up, tackles Two-Face off the building, catches the boy, throws the boy up to Gordon, and then falls down himself. So Two-Face died during this fall. It was quite a long fall. Yeah. Batman is a, apparently a cat and just doesn't die from fall fall damage. Yeah. So he doesn't die here. He didn't die earlier when he fell off a skyscraper. And he was shot. But did, did he even feel the bullet? I mean, he, he, acted, he reacted like it hurt him, but his suit's supposed to be bulletproof. Yeah, right? I think it's bulletproof. The bullet's not the issue. I think the fall is the biggest. But he's obviously tired because he's hanging on. And then he falls, and the, that drop's got to hurt as well. But, of course, he's wearing the suit, so you, you can never really truly gauge how much damage is caused. Yeah, yeah he, Batman took a beating on this night. It's one of the longest days of his life, probably. He was just probably <laughs> tired. A lot, a lot of shit going on that day. So the problem with Dent being dead, Two-Face, is that he had become a symbol of goodness for the city. And to find out that he became corrupt and, and murdered two people and became this horrible monster, Two-Face, would devastate the city and all the progress they'd made toward cleansing the corruption there. So they can't just come out and reveal that Dent was evil and it became Two-Face. So as a solution yeah. to this, Batman offers himself up to become a pariah and save Dent's reputation. Yeah. So all the people that Dent took out and killed is now going to be blamed on on Batman. Yep, and and Batman takes on this burden willingly. Gordon knows that he's taking it on. Let's just lie to the people. That's how all good things happen. Just yeah. lie to everybody. Lie to the public. That's a real happy ending. Spy on them and lie on them. Yeah, right? <laughs> Batman's, Batman is the real villain in this. He is, and he's going to hell, as you said in the last podcast. <laughs> I don't remember... <laughs> I don't remember why I said he was going to hell, but he's definitely doing it. It was for all the secondhand murders. Oh, yeah, yeah. He and he killed, a a do- he killed a dog in this one. Yeah, that's, he's going to hell. You can't kill a dog. You can't kill dogs and go to heaven. <laughs> like a dog. Like a dog. Begged like a dog. So Gordon goes up to the roof of the major crimes <laughs> unit, and he smashes in the bat signal. So that symbolizes the end of Batman's union with the police. Yeah, and also why? 
you just take it to the basement, cover it up, throw a blanket over it. You know, you don't have to break the whole thing. Like, you might need it later. He's got to make a big show for the other cops. Yeah, that's true. They all are out there, like, watching. I'm like, there's a ceremony for him to break this? Okay, whatever. Alfred burns the letter that Rachel had given him. So Batman will never know that Rachel was going to dump his ass. Yeah. Fox, I wrote Fox retires after destroying spying machine. Yeah, he's repaid for his he's repaid for his faith in Bruce and Batman by typing in his name and the whole thing explodes. So hey, I think you're right about that. So I think maybe he still works for Batman. Yeah, I think so. We'll see in the next movie. And it ends kind of cornily. I didn't like this. Gordon standing there talking to his son about Batman and he says he was a hero. He was the Dark Knight we all needed. He's just like a narrator of Batman's greatest hits. It's like NFL films for Batman. I didn't <laughs> didn't like it. They played the, like the corny, swelling music. Not a fan of the, the last. Few I seconds. thought it was good because of what he was saying. He was saying he's the hero that we need, but not the one we deserve, or something like that. And the you know because he's strong enough to take it, we have to chase him. It's setting up the idea of like now now Batman is questionable as a good character yeah and the one thing i do remember from the next movie is he's like a hermit version of batman at the beginning so he's kind of going into exile after this yeah Mm -hmm. but that's for next week that wraps up the dark knight an excellent movie that's aged well I didn't have as many favorite lines from this one because I didn't want to write down every single one of the Joker's lines. So I only have a few, but did you have any favorite lines from the Dark Knight? I got a few. My uh, my first one is from the Chechen. And he goes, my dogs are hungry. <laughs> when I don't know why I like that line so much, but... He's like, he pulls up and he's, he's in that drug deal with a scarecrow. And he goes, my dogs are hungry. And the way he says it just cracks me up. Yeah, I kind of like the Chechen. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I like him too. And I've actually seen him in stuff since then. He's a, he's a good actor, I think. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, when, when the sinister Mr. Reese tells <laughs> his plan to, uh, to Fox, and then Fox looks at him and says, you think your client is a vigilante that spends his nights beating up, beating uh, villains to a pulp, and your plan is to blackmail him? Good luck. <laughs> Where he says, ah, "I just love, I love that one." I really and, hope there's a sinister businessman in the next movie too that we can, we yeah, can keep it going with a, the sinisters. We need a third one for sure. We'll find a sinister Mister something. Yeah. And then the final one is the Joker whenever Batman's beating him up in the in the interrogation room. And he says, you have nothing to threaten me with, nothing to do with all your strength. And it's just like it reinforces that idea of like he's beating him up and he's just laughing at him. And he's like, eh, you can beat me all you want. You can beat me up physically all you want. And it, you have literally nothing on me. Yeah, he likes being beaten. So that's not even bothering him. Mm-hmm. Was that all your lines? Yep. All right. Well, I had a few. And my favorite one, I think, was one of the first lines in the movie. And that's when the bank manager is standing up to the Joker and he gets shot and he's laying there dying. And he says, The criminals in this town used to believe in something. 
<laughs> so honor like, among thieves. Yeah, whatever happened to honor among thieves? Yeah. Uh, I love the line the Joker says when he's offering to kill the Batman. He says, if you're good at something, never do it for free. So I think he has that in common with the Russian prostitutes that Bruce employs the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Ballerinas, man. If you're good at sex and, and suntan lotion, then never do it for free. <laughs> They're artists. They're dancers. They use their body as art. Uh, okay, never mind. Just go on. <laughs> I like. I already mentioned it, but I want to say it again. When the Joker says to Rachel, got some fight in you. I like that. And Batman says, then you're going to love me. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, also when he's holding her over the window and he goes, let her go. Very poor choice of words. <laughs> yeah, he drops her. It's, it's so obvious. It's like, yeah, why would you say let her go? <laughs> I've got one last favorite line, and that's from Maroney. When they're in the, the dance club and Batman's approaching them. Before, <laughs> before he gets there, the girl that's with Maroney says, do you want to go somewhere? I can't even hear. We can't even hear each other talk. And Maroney says, what makes you think I want to hear you talk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That what, was a a pr- what a prick. Yeah. Right. I was like, oh, that's a blunt honesty. Yeah, what, makes you, what makes you think I want to hear you talk? Oh, that's such a good one. So that's it for favorite lines for me. And we'll get to the grades because these podcasts are going long. These Batman ones. And I'm blaming mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan. Yeah, what, come on with all the twists and turns, man. How many false endings are you gonna have? And this one is the longest, I think, but it's the best. So I didn't mind taking longer on it because it's a really good movie. So I, uh, <clears throat> what did I grade the last one? Seventeen, uh, I think. You did, yeah. You gave it a seventeen. Seventeen, and I think for this one, I still think it's a better movie overall for everyone. Like it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really good script and it's really fun. It does meander a bit. And obviously we broke apart some things that didn't quite add up, but I quit doing it halfway through. There was a lot more than what we said. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's plenty of stuff that doesn't add up here. You have to suspend your disbelief for this world, but at the same time, this world is a kind of real. So it's a, I, I just remember being entranced by the movie. I owned the movie. I watched it a lot. I, it's Even re-watching it, I'm just like, wow, how can somebody just have that perfect of a character built out for them and, and to deliver like that the way that uh, Heath Ledger does? And it's brought a lot of joy, joy and enjoyment to my life. So I'm going to give it a 19 out of 20 Ooh. because it is one of my favorite movies, I think, of all time. All right, that's a quite a score. Yeah, nineteen. That might be one of your highest ever. I don't even know if I've given a twenty out of twenty, have I? To Lord of the Rings, you did. Return, well, of, the, yeah. Return of the King. Oh, okay, yeah. And Two Towers, I think, as well. Actually, no, I didn't give out two twenties, did I? You did, yeah, yeah. You well, did. never again. Yeah. Well, for me, I do love this movie. And I remember loving it a lot when I first watched it. It definitely grips you the first time. And it's not as good every time I've watched it after that, in my opinion. But I'm not going to forget the way you know it made me feel when I first watched it. It's mm-hmm. very different from the first movie. The acting is better based solely off of Heath Ledger alone. 
The action sequences are better if you're into that, which I am, you know, at first anyway. So that was all good. But at times the action detracted from the story for me and the plot, We you pointed it out, and I don't love the story as much as the acting and the cinematography. So I can't put it above Batman Begins, but I also can't put it below Batman Begins either. So I'm going to ride the same with 17 out of 20 for both movies. All right. That's a, that's a interesting. And I thought about that because I did have a greater respect for Batman Begins after watching this one, because it does seem that this one is more geared towards blockbuster style movie. And the last one, I think the story is a bit better and tighter. This one, the story is more complex and it goes on. Obviously, there's a lot more going on. And the villains are better. The characters are better. The actors are better. Uh, the performances, I, I should say, are better. And it just, for me, the story alone wasn't enough to just keep, to just, to, for me to knock it back down to that. Because I thought that everything was just a touch better. And the story was the only thing. But I have a new respect now for Batman Begins because having rewatched that and gone back and, and checked it out, it is a it is a really good story, and I think it might be the best story out of all three. So yeah, I think we'll it is. See. Yeah, we'll see because I haven't watched the third one yet, so we'll see. Well, you say the story's complex for the Dark Knight, and I do agree with that. They ask you to be detail oriented when you follow along, but yeah. then also they ask you to suspend your disbelief on a lot of these details so that kind of annoys me it's like they want you to know who Wirtz and ramirez are and they want you to know who's driving the car that drove rachel to her her death but also don't think about how the joker possibly had time to plant 500 pounds of dynamite in a loaded hospital yeah don't think about everything just think about the things we want you to think about just know that he got it done yeah you do have to accept a, a lot of stuff as and and we can I like like I said we could create a theory for each thing and justify it or go against it, but a lot of the timing stuff would have had to work out picture perfect timing exactly as planned for it to work, and in a realistic world that just probably isn't going to happen a lot, but in a movie world it does happen every time. So yeah, and I'm not going to let that hold me down. Yeah, it it was a good one. It's yeah. a it's a great movie. And I'm not going to say the same thing next week because I haven't hid my disdain for this third Batman movie. And I'm excited to get into it because I suspect you're going to argue with me a lot and you're going to like a lot of these things. So the the last one might be fun. I don't know. I'm not real sure because I haven't seen it in so long. I only watched it once and uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. And the Dark Knight I've watched multiple, multiple, multiple times, like maybe almost up to 20. Like overall, uh, this next one, I think I've only seen like once or twice. Well, it will. We'll get into that next week. We should probably wrap this one up. Did you have an email address that you wanted to add? Oh, yeah. Uh, email us. Email us at rancid taco podcast at gmail.com. Very good. Mm-hmm. And hail payment. And hail Mary Moss. And hail Melkor. And hail, Brando. And hail, Caesar. And hail, Blix. (laughs) Thanks. And hail, Kova. Hey, thanks, buddy.
Hail Blix. I can't believe it. Well, you know, I've, 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 the little bugger's grown on me, you know. That was nice of you. I can't remember any more of our hails. Nah, I think that's it. Hail Josh Stewart. Oh, yeah. Hail Josh Stewart. <laughs> All right. Well, if you didn't have anything else to add about the Dark Knight, then thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week. Catch you later. Why so serious? movies from webster to morocco who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos this podcast is brought to you by west virginia pepperoni rolls